Michael Cole, if you take one more step towards that computer, The Rock will get out of here and slap the taste so far out of your mouth, he'll never get it back. Shut up. Michael Cole, you actually think that The Rock is just going to let you walk over to that computer and interrupt him when he is live on Raw? Is that what you think? You actually think that any of us give a damn what your general manager has to say. Michael Cole, is that what you think? I'll tell you what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. Now what you do, Michael Cole, is you sit your ass at that announcer booth, you take off your headset and you don't say a word. And I quote, you know your Gun. damn role and shut your Gun. damn mouth. This segment of Gundam at MAHQ is sponsored by Champ Sports. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 72 of Gundam. This is one of your hosts, Neil. As always, I'm joined here with uh, Chris and Solbro. Uh, Chris, Solbro, say hello to the folks out there. What's up, gang? Yo. Any any big news coming on in the Chris world or MAHQ world or um, anything that we need to hit up before we get to the real news? There should be some new sections out soon, so. New stuff. You're back to the uh, the same vague uh, news that you used to have, right? <laughs> MHQ, hey, new stuff. If you're if you're Go always ahead. vague about what you're offering, you don't have to worry about disappointing anyone because you can just explain your way around what you said before. Hey, man, you know the the thing is, is I wish they would do that in movie trailers now because it seems like you go watch a movie. I've already seen all the good parts by the trailer. I remember when they used to be like uh, 30 seconds long. You're like, yeah, dang, that looks pretty good. Now it's like they give you the whole plot. Yeah, like three minute three minute trailers on YouTube. It's like, wow, I just saw the. Uh, I just saw three battles, and um, he gets a girl at the end. I just Great. saw the climax in this trailer. What the hell? <laughs> Soulbro, any any news on the Soulbro front? We all know that this past fifteenth was Marvel vs. Capcom t- or three. So, yeah. I mean, the the, the world of uh, the world stopped on that day. It did. It yeah. did, especially for me. Um, that's why that's why we have these civil unrest and. Uh, <laughs> In the, in, Middle East, in they, the Middle East, they, we got it a week before they did. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sole reason, I'm sure. Yes. Now, um, I'm enjoying the hell out of the game. I can't really give it a, a, a clear review because of all the stuff I haven't discovered well, in the game. Well, you also couldn't give it a clear review because of, of you. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, what's funny is that... This is the most wonderful game ever, 11 out of 10. 
Exactly. I, I do have some gripes. I do have some gripes with it, but I'll save it for another day. Um, oh, you want to know what's funny? You know, I, I know someone else who has gripes about this game too. Oh man, let me guess. Um, <laughs> it's Pedro, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, even Peter even from my mom Windsor. knows who who hates this game. I'm sure. <laughs> and that, no, that 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 would that would be a certain Mr. Austin Blake, and oh. I'm sure that you guys can can talk about this stuff in the near future, like say, say next so. month. You know what's I'll funny, Chris? Is you, you say that, and this is when I wish we had um, Austin on Speed Skype because um, Solbro took off the day this thing came out. You know, and I took off when Street Fighter Four <laughs> came out too. <laughs> <laughs> I took off. I, I just took off because pretty. I know I wouldn't be able to resist the urge to play the game after waiting for so long for it. it like I'm not a, ashamed to admit it. People take off days for games I, all the time. <laughs> my my opinion of you is going down even lower now than before. No, I'm kidding. Man, I, I can just, afford that. I, just, I feel I feel I feel tempted to do a straight talk just on you. No, I don't. Uh, but um, <laughs> actually, before uh, Solbro um, started started grousing about uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, there was one additional piece of news, which is this is an announcement of an announcement, which okay. I hate. I hate when I read them and I see them, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Which is you can expect an announcement soon on the still as yet untitled Gunpla cast. <laughs> okay. Now that's literally all I can reveal because there's not much more to say, but I can say that the elements are starting to come together behind the scenes, and Andres has a co-host who is going to be joining him. Uh, Pedro is going to be doing the recording and editing duty, and you know we're still um, working out some things about the format, the name, all of that, and we're looking to have as our launch date now, April, during uh, the 11th anniversary anniversary month for MHQ. So once we have finally settled down a title and all of the names and everything signed up and registered, that's Mm -hmm. when I'll give a more detailed announcement of you know, when you can see um, all this start to happen. But definitely, I can't say now, during April will be the first episode somewhere. So it's, it's starting to come together like uh, precisionly cut plastic, um, you know, and their little things. And you're slowly building the legs and you're going up towards the top before we know <laughs> it'll be April. Correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And pretty soon, um, you know, we got a lot of feedback from people on MechaTalk and via email who our modelers and would like to participate and be part of this podcast. So pretty soon we'll start to be getting back to you all of what it is that we're looking for and how you can participate and contribute if you want to be a part of the show. So watch for that. And by contribute, you mean by paying money to be a guest on the show, right? (laughs) (laughs) The first for-profit podcast financed completely by audience participation. But I didn't know that this was becoming the Gordon Gecko cast, but uh. <laughs> or or the Ferengi cast. <laughs> Not that there's much difference between the two, but uh, no, I meant contribute as in you know, yes, contribute content. I know you did, but anyway, we'll be posting details about that soon. Uh, first on MHQ, and then once we have a name decided, we'll create a sub forum for it on MechaTalk under that podcast header where. Gundam and Chaos Theater reside. I like to shock those who um, in the past are used to getting things for free and uh, you know, shock them with the fact that you might have to pay for something. Oh my god, you might have to actually pay for something once. But <clears throat> Alright, any other news? Straight talking, Chris, anything? 
No, nothing. It's worth it this time. No, I, I have one last bit of news. I, I'd like to. It's 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 more so video game related, if anything. But we um, know. Capcom, cannot proclaim Capcom, your yes. love for for, <laughs> no. for Capcom. You you is, cannot is ask it? Seth Killian to marry you. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, it's not Capcom related at all. Um, one bit of news was uh, another game came out this week that I was totally taken aback by. Um, on Xbox Live, they finally released Hardcore Uprising. And that came out Wednesday, which is a uh, a prequel to a, a Contra game that was on the Sega Genesis uh, called uh, Contra Hardcore. And it's actually developed by Arc System Works, the people who do fighting games like Guilty Gear and Blaze Blue. But it's a running gun shooter like the old classic shoot 'em ups from back in the day. And it is completely addicting. I, I've actually been equally torn between MVC3 and that oh game God. trying to mack up. You might actually cheat on, cheat on Capcom? Oh, I know. It, it's oh freaking that's what, that's, that's what my boy Shoji said, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for this game to come out on PSN because I don't it think they have to. announced a date yet. Yeah. But it is soon. What I want to know about this game is, and this has sort of bugged me a little bit ever since it was announced. Right. Everyone knows that this is a contra game. It yes. very clearly is a contra game. Out I don't there, understand why they're marketing it without the contra name. <laughs> Even Konami does not hide the fact that it's a contra game. They're well, like, they this is a contra game. We're just not calling it contra. Dude, you can put a, you can put in a code as the first level's loading. That allows the that changes the the theme song music for the first stage to so the contra theme from the um <laughs> it's a rock out it's a rocked out guilty gear version of the contra theme you can listen to on the first stage. Yeah, that make any so, sense why you would do that? Yeah, it's like why take contra out of the title? Originally, its running title was Contra Hardcore Uprising, but they took out contra completely. Even when you go to the title screen, it plays the contra anthem. You know, do maybe do, um, do, do, maybe contra's do. got a a negative uh, connotation to audiences now. I don't I know. Mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I well, if there was ever a time for that, it would have been the 80s when it started with the whole Iran-Contra yeah. affair. But that's yeah. long behind us. And the series has been named Contra consecutively throughout the years when it had later installments. So for them to take it out just doesn't make sense to me. And I think that's part of the reason why no one's bought the game. I got four friends in my friends list, and my friends list macked out completely. But only four friends in my friends list that own that game. That's it. <laughs> and I keep telling people how good the game is and to check out the demo. And I think on PSN, it's going to take off. They just need to market it right. But on Xbox Live, I don't know if it's selling that well. And that's a damn shame. But, it's, not uh, like, it's not like the brand names, but the franchise names are poison. You know, there haven't been oh, any no. horrible Contra games recently. And they, had, uh, they came out on the Wii a while back. Um, mm -hmm. Contra Rebirth is part of Konami's Rebirth series. So if you have a franchise that's well-known and you're not trying to run away from a horrible stinker, I don't see why it is that you wouldn't put in the, the title of your series there. Absolutely. Uh, and um, I, I got to say that the, the best part about the game is not the arcade mode, but a mode in it called Rising Mode, where you go through it, you earn, you earn credits, and then you go and you buy upgrades for your character. You'll play that game a hundred times over and different stages just macking out your characters as you go along. I did have a problem with the fact that you had to pay for the extra two characters in the game. And on Microsoft, it's about $2.50 um, a piece or 200 um, Microsoft points <laughs> a piece for each character. Banana so, money. Dude, I, I'd spent 20 bucks <laughs> on points, this game. Not points, banana money. Yeah, freaking space, space dollars. But... <laughs> When you talk about 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 uh, Microsoft points on Gundam, you always have to refer to them as banana points. Banana points, huh? <laughs> because that's I'll, what they I'll, are. I'll you you got to call a spade a spade. No, you call them, you call them gates. Well, I, I'll remember that from here on out. But yeah, the game cost me pretty much a full on twenty dollars. Uh, Fifteen for the game itself, another five for the um, for the two extra characters, and they're well worth the money. One of them actually turns the game from Contra to Strider. 
she's a samurai and and if anything i could go on about for hours about this game but it's please really don't yeah, exactly um, the other bit of news i have to say uh, has to do with two arcades closing down across the america they're two big ones one of them is chinatown fair in um, new york city which is a really a a, a a landmark arcade over there and a lot of uh, great um gaming champions came from that arcade like justin wong and whatnot and fighting games and and everything and then the other one is arcade infinity and they both close out they both close down um, before the month is out. Arcade Infinity is in Rollins, California, and they both just released news that they're closing down because of lease issues and money issues. So I just want to say in memorandum that uh, those places uh, those places meant a lot to the Street Fighter and fighting game community, mean, and I'm sad to see them go. You mean in memoriam? In memoriam. Oh, my God. Not, <laughs> did, I say, did I say memorandum like an ass? Yes. Yeah, yes oh, did. my God. That's okay. I, I, I screw up. A mo- <laughs> You know, there you have it. Solbro screws up the the two arcades he's trying to memorandalize. Memorandalize. (laughs) Or Mirandalize. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I I will will finally. Or Mirandize. (laughs) Mirandize. Trying to arrest the arcades on. Well, uh, Well, not arrest them, but you're letting them know of their rights. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you have have the right to not stay open. (laughs) Yeah. You have the right to not stay open. You have a right to be out by the end of the month. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you have the right to keep, get your crap out of here. Well, much props to the guys who ran them, and um, I'm sorry to say Don't forget know. to vacuum the carpets before you leave. <laughs> Take out the trash. Damn arcades, you crazy kids. Damn Cubert. <laughs> awesome. But that's all, right. all I got to say. And, yeah, okay. Well, um, if you thought that this suddenly became game talk with Soulbro or... Ca- or, or, or Capcom Life. Um, it's been a big It's really game, not. It's, um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's Gundam, so just to bring it back down a little bit here. Uh, so, all right, that's great. We have all this great news and uh, some great uh, other news here uh, provided to us by some of our great listeners. And uh, there's always... Uh, Why don't you ask them to pay to provide the news? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, um, I, 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 actually have to, I actually have to be good on this episode because the Soulbro Defense Force attacked me last episode. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, you know, sometimes they just can't get the joke, but I guess not all of us can get the joke at times. <laughs> um, but the uh, first one here, come, and this is off the news, listener submitted news article site in the Mecha Talk forum and this comes from nasty nate he's at, this is actually a pretty good segue he's got a, a, a list of a whole bunch of different gaming news here um chris i know you're eagerly awaiting gundam dynasty warriors 3 um hallelujah haptism i, I, now I been already have it pre-ordered i already have it pre-ordered yeah well <laughs> with, uh with you, you can bro. now play as hallelujah so um you know after he's done backpacking across europe you can go and kill some l's or whatever or some nameless Zaku warrior or something like that in this thing. Um, what, yeah. what can I play as Hallelujah? Well, just I don't know. I'm just getting Hallelujah, so <laughs> I guess it remains to be seen. Maybe he's downloadable. But um, and uh, from March 3rd to the 16th on PlayStation Home, you're gonna, they're going to be airing the first few episodes of Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. What? And if you get to watch it, you get a free SDF one for your PlayStation Home, which is useless because there's nothing to do at home. <laughs> so you can put that in your sparsely uh, furnished apartment. Um, yeah. Sparsely? <laughs> so 
<laughs> Thank you there. Um, and Nasty Nate's got all these links on here, and I encourage everybody to go to them. There are a variety of different blogs. Um, uh, another one here is there's a 3D battle game for Gundam that's going to have a trade system that's going to allow you to trade pilots and mobile suits with other mm. players. What? So, um, yeah, if you uh, if you get stuck with Moncha, you can trade them off. Ooh. Right, Chris? <laughs> that's a shitty deck. <laughs> Or well, actually, it wouldn't wouldn't happen to me anyway because Gundam 3D Battle is on the 3DS, which is region locked. So I'd have to have a Japanese 3DS if I wanted to play said game. Do 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 do. And I'm sure do. I'm sure I'm sure you could probably get a PS3 for cheaper than what they'll be asking for over here for those things. So uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Thanks regionalization. Um, I know a lot of us, uh, probably Chris, is really excited about this, but Soulbro, because Mr. Nostalgia himself, right on. Uh, the new Voltron show there's going to be a next gen voltron video game oh yeah to coincide with the release of the anime series so ooh, news, can't wait for that yeah sure there is <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm just i'm just going by what's being reported here i mean i know it's subject to change but um last one here from nasty nate is uh gundam unicorn is now available for pre-order on the bandai entertainment store and it's going to be released april the 7th so all those that don't have their pre-orders in definitely mm-hmm. get them out there um and riches i already have my pre-order in and what were anything else <laughs> i thought you were gonna say something else I, I i'm guessing i'm guessing there's there's a delay here that Soulbro can edit out but uh <laughs> yeah aside aside from uh that being the pre-order I, I would note that it's iconic april 7th a very important date in gundam since that's the date that the first episode aired in japan yes, wow, the original yeah. series that is true that is true so I'm sure on April and 7th... And they also already made a nod to that in Wing because the first episode of Wing aired on that same date and is actually set on that same date. Yeah. Oh! That is true. And uh, I'm sure on April 7th, Tamino will be crying in his, his sparsely uh, furnished apartment because he signed away all his rights. So... Uh, <laughs> his, his own personal fortress of solitude. <laughs> well, if, you, uh, if, it's, if it's the way it is in Gundam Sose, it's a pretty great place, so... I don't know. Could be worse. But um, thank you, Mr. Nasty Nate, for your submission. Uh, next one here is uh, from JRoy1117. This is actually kind of a little hard news article from Time. Wow. Ooh. So probably put time.com out of business now, too. Oh, no. And uh, it, this would have been better if uh, we were reviewing it this, um, this episode, but I think we'll be finishing up here shortly. But there's an um, article about the coming merging between humans and machines, and he's... Ooh. Mr. J. Roy or Mrs. J. Roy, whoever you are, says, well, it's official. The reality of Gundam Ghost in the Shell is near. And I took a look at the article, and it is kind of interesting. I mean, um, talks about, you know, some of the thoughts of what everybody thinks about 20, 30 years from now, how uh, computers and humans are going to interact. And uh, as we saw, that computer beat all those humans in uh, Jeopardy. Oh, yeah, Watson? Yeah. yeah. It's it's the first part of the Cylons, right? No, man. Uh, Skynet, dude. Come on. Is this guy now? I noticed how they gave him like a crazy little '80s, um, like face where it's like all this like thing drawn all the time. I'm like, wow, that's pretty tacky. I was expecting Whopper to show up. <laughs> yeah. So um, thank you, J. Roy, for your submission. Next one, uh, some mo- more uh, uh, movie stuff, and this is. I didn't know Zune had a marketplace. I didn't even know people were still going to the Zune. But this comes from Merkton GM. And uh, there's going to be some new additions. And this is cool. I mean, if you have a Zoom or if you're in the Zoom marketplace, you're going to be able now to see the original MSG trailer or trilogy, 
Whoa. The F-91, Shars Counterattack, Endless Walls, um, and, mo uh, well, this this kind of blows it. Afterglow is Eon, so. Afterglow. <laughs> <laughs> So if you you see like you see a couple great movies and then if you want to see what not to do, um, watch Afterglow of Zeon. Was that after after Zeon got boned? <laughs> well, if they're throwing that in, that's the first time that that movie's ever gotten an English release because yeah. Bandai never released it when they released the OAP. Yeah, I saw it uh, via the internet back in the day, and I'm glad. I still want my bandwidth back for that one, but um, uh, these are all going to be in their original Japanese with English subtitles. So no dub for you. But uh, thank you, uh, Merkton GM, for your submission here. And another one here is from Gundam Type Zero. And this is, uh, I guess this is just more of a warning for anybody. Uh, be careful what you download. Um, that I guess there was a big One Piece lawsuit by Funimation, and they took everybody out except one poor person. What? So, um, yeah, be careful uh, if... If these companies are actually giving you or sub versions of this stuff, and you may have to wait a, a day or two, might behoove you to w wait a day or two. But um, yeah, so I mean, it, it's kind of interesting that they um, actually remove these people off there. And uh, if you want to go into their link, it's on the Anime News Network, and uh, they they did a hard piece of uh, journalism, hard hitting journalism, to find out what was going on there. So, but uh, thank you. Um, Gundam type for that. And uh, our last one here, and I should have probably put this with his original one, is uh, this is again, once again from Nasty Nate, and he's got a link going uh, to the Gundam Guy blog, and that is going to be showing the first eight minutes of Gundam Unicorn Episode 3. Oh. So check it out if you're a Gundam Unicorn fan. So uh, thank you, everyone, for your submissions. Um, and if you have any articles that you'd like to submit, please go to the Neo's Listener Submitted News Articles thread in the Mecha Talk forum. Um, Chris Solbro, any other comments to the news or any other news of your own before we move on with our first special segment that I haven't said anything about yet, but um, it's called, uh, I'm doing what they do in the um, in local news. <laughs> you know, you open it and you, you keep all the big news to the end. So I should have teased it. I should have teased it a little bit more. But uh, had to get. To well, you know, there there is a thing called the mailbag. That's true. That is true. I'm sorry, Chris. Um, uh, thank you for reminding me, um, Chris. Now for the mailbag with Chris. All right. Our first question comes from Rygens, who says, "Hello again, Gundam crew. I was going to ask a question about the future of sex robots, but then I thought they wouldn't possibly want to answer a question on sex robots, would they? Well, you'd be mistaken, but." Your loss. <laughs> After I came to my senses, I decided to go with this question instead. <laughs> no. It's always bothered me the way that Rekko's personality suddenly changed after she met Soroko the first time in Zeta, and also how Sarah acts toward him as well, and to a lesser extent how Katz behaves around Sarah. Mm -hmm. I think Shar and Amro mentioned during Shar's counterattack about how new types have the ability to influence people, and it got me to thinking, do new types have the ability to control minds or to a lesser extent influence people via telepathy? If they do, it would go a heck of a long way to explain some of the weirder moments in UC shows. Well, uh, Raijins, the thing you have to remember is with some of these specific examples you cite, Soroko and Shar especially, that's not at all new type mind control powers. It's this little thing called charisma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And extremely, as we've seen in history, um, and even now, people who are very charismatic 
have excessive amounts of influence they can exert on people, and there's no magical new type powers involved with that at all. Yeah. So there's nothing at all about mind control or, or mental influence coming from these two guys. They are just both very charismatic people who have that effect on other people who you would note are, I would note, are weak-willed because that's how charismatic people work. They have influence over weak-willed people. Yeah, I, I think that's the best way of saying it. And, yeah, I mean, it's what else can you see? We, we see it all the time where um, uh, we, we have people that just have are very charismatic or able to just control, you know, not only just one or two people but groups of people. And um, I think that probably was the whole point that uh, was shown with these characters. So, Solbro, your thoughts. Capcom. Uh, uh, shut up. <laughs> No, I, I thought it was a, a bit of a hard turn for Rekawa, but at the same time, she was vulnerable. You can see kind of the chinks in her armor as the um, as the series progressed, and um, Soraka aimed right for it. You know, he could read her like a book, and um, was able to manipulate her. And he, Chris is right; um, he Soraka is just very good at being charismatic and be able to read people and um, be able to decipher what they want to hear and make them feel special and in his way manipulate them and um that's pretty much how most of these uh most of these charismatic uh puppet masters do do their thing so yeah having having weak will is 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 definitely uh something that those guys look for and feed off of all right our next question comes from bushido who first says after seeing both seasons of double o do you guys think season two's mecha designs seem kind of plain i'm not faulting the choice of design but there are some things that somewhat bothered me, and not to get too technical, the O-Gundam was a flat design. The second and third generation guns were very detailed. Then it went back to being plain again for season two and the movie. Was there any particular reason for this you guys can think of? No, the change in design didn't bother me at all. You know, it's just um, visual distinction of having the Gundams look different from their predecessors, but still having a, a, a through line of a connection. I certainly prefer that design style in 00 Season 1 and 2 to in Seed and Destiny, where you have the Strike Freedom and Infinite Justice being almost identical to their predecessors. Yeah. So well, as that, you knew- to me, is more interesting. That you, can look, you can look at Exia and 00 and see the similarities, but also see the differences. Same with, say, Karadim and Dynamis, or Kyrios and Arios, etc., etc. Well, as you know... Second season one as good as the first season, so that that's its first uh, its first thing. No, I mean I, I thought they were fine. I mean, like you stated, yeah, they are going to be looking like their previous suits because um, not often are you going to take weapons of war like that and completely redesign them the next generation, um, especially when the first one seemed like they did pretty well. But yeah, I mean, I I, I liked them. I I, I thought um, I thought Double O was pretty cool, and I thought. Um, outside of the Gundams, I thought a lot of the grunt suits, especially for the for the Federation and stuff, improved a lot uh, for season two. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably just a more of a matter of perception more than anything. So, but so I, I just look at it, I look at it this way: season one showed a lot of uh, predecessors of, of 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 modern Mecha in there. You know, they had to show that these suits were antiquated for their time when the Gundam showed up and there was a stark difference between them. But by the time season two starts up, the Joneses have caught, the Joneses have, have caught up. And so everybody has got pretty modernized suits. So if they, you know, if it, if it doesn't allow for a lot of variation like in season one, you know, there's a perfect explanation for that. You know, technology is caught up with the mainstream and they're manipulating in the way they can. And um, 
you know, things look a lot more similar across the board. Uh, I do like some of the unique designs for season one, but I can't say one is better than, I can't say that, uh, the designs of season two lack any kind of character or any kind of uniqueness, um, themselves. I, I, I like the designs for the suits in season two, too. I, 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 I've never pitted one against the other, so I, I couldn't tell you if I like season one more than two. So I, I like it all the same. <laughs> way, way, way to be, way to be just, in middle of the road there. In this subject, I am. I, oh it, just, it just depends on what the subject is. I can, I can see the great parts of season one, but then season two, it's like, really? I like the Some movie. people may like this and others may not. Yeah. I can see where he's coming from, but yet I can also see... All right, second question. What is your take on China's fake 1-1 Gundam that they claimed never existed when it was first sighted around Christmas last year? They also claimed that it was also not a Gundam and that it was an original design. Yeah, the one that they covered up after being properly built and they added some horns and crap to make it not Gundam. And yeah. you know, I love that they said that it's not at all based on Gundam, even though, one, it looks identical. Two, uh, it has very distinctive markings on it, like, you know, EFSF and WB102 that the Gundam has on model kits, yet it's not the same, and then they turned it into this weird, like, yellow crusader robot thing. Yeah, it's just another example of of China's, like, naked disrespect for any copyright whatsoever and just their total cluelessness and their ability, inability to say, yeah, we screwed up, we're sorry. They just deny the existence of something, even though it very clearly exists. Yeah, what Chris said. (laughs) <laughs> it's a China, China in a nutshell, man. Uh, China's used to uh, getting away with uh, copyright infringement, and when someone finally called them to task on that, they just scrambled to to make it look as weakly different as they possibly could. Uh, it, it's it's glaringly obvious that you know it was a Gundam, and it's funny that they try to deny it. But I just wish they'd just come out and say, "Yeah, we we tried to make a Gundam, but you know what? We'll we'll change it up because we are infringing copyright." But you, you'll never get that out the Chinese. Not not ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's dumb and ugly looking anyway. Oh god, it's horrible. And that color scheme is is trash. <laughs> Next question comes from Takatahu Nuva, who says, "Simple question: What, in your opinion, is the worst show Yoshiyuki Tamino has created slash directed? Keep in mind, I'm talking TV here. No OVAs. Oh. I've heard a lot of bad things about Brain Powered, but haven't seen it yet. Would that be your choice, or maybe one of his earlier Super Robot shows like?" Writing, Zambot, or Ditarn. I imagine Solbra would say Zeta Gundam just because De- Emma dies in the end. Just kidding. <laughs> You're too <laughs> funny, guy. You're too funny, Taku Tahu Nova. But um, um, I, I can't go first. I can't uh, clearly answer that question because I haven't seen all his shows and all, all his TV shows I've enjoyed so far. Um, the, the ones I've seen. I'd have to say it'd probably be brain powered. Really? Have you seen? Have you seen it? Wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like it. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, kind of a little bit of a mess. But I mean, yeah, because we can't use what we talked about in um, oh no, Tamino Toilet. No, nope, so uh, I would love but to. If it comes to that. Yeah, I I would say brain powered. It just seemed kind of a mess. And you've seen Zambot, and you have good things to say about Zambot, right? Yeah, so exploding like, people yeah. and stuff like that. Exploding kids. <laughs> no, exploding people. Oh, it's not people? just kids. It's oh, wow. human bombs. I, no, I mean, Zambot is it's a typical 70s super robot show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's... I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't say it was... The, I, I thought it was pretty decent. I think the pacing was great and stuff. But brain powered, yeah. I just was like, I don't know. I know you and Chris both enjoyed the day on, so um, 
and then we've discussed all his other shows on the show. So. Yeah, I would have to say of all of the shows I've seen, which is most of them, it would probably have to be brain-powered because it has some interesting concepts. However, the execution is very lacking, and yeah. it's a very messy show. Rich is surprising because of such a guy that you know is so such a veteran at that time when he did this show. It's not like this is his first or second show that he ever did. I mean, it, it just, I don't know. I don't know, maybe mentally he wasn't there, he was on yeah. autopilot, but, I mean, the the direction, you know, is fine. The animation is fine. Fine, yeah. The music is great. It's a great Yoho kind of soundtrack, oh, yeah. but the story is just an absolute mess. Yeah. yeah. That's sad to hear. Yeah. Our next question comes from Kayoni73, who says, As an avid mecha fan of all types, not just Gundam, I've been catching up on the whole back catalog of podcasts and wondering when you guys plan to do coverage on Pat Labor, maybe even a Pat Labor roundup. The fact it's nearly all available translated in the U.S. should make it pretty doable, and if you're already planning on it, looking forward to it. Well, that's that it's nearly all available. It is all available. available. Right. Aside, of course, from the manga that Viz only ever did the first two volumes of. Mm -hmm. uh, we were going to announce this in a few episodes because we're going to be finishing up our Gits Roundup pretty soon, but mm -hmm. might as well do it now. Yes, after Gits, our next Roundup series will be Pat Labor and we'll be covering it all. Yep. Well, well. There you go. The truth has come out. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, too. A lot of Pat Labor I haven't and seen. So... Well, I better get on your homework. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Don't worry. It's not, it's not on Netflix or Hulu Plus, so you have to, you have to do I, this the hard way. I'll have to scrape and grind, but that's all right. I will. So our last question comes from Gundam Type Zero, who says, You gents mentioned Kamen Rider a couple of times during your podcasts. Any particular shows in the franchise you enjoy, whether it be Showa or Heisei? Well, usually when we've mentioned it, it's in context of Andres being on here, mm -hmm. because he is a huge, huge Kamen Rider fan. And um, I've only seen, like, maybe one episode of Black. That's the extent of my Kamen Rider experience. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hear more about Kamen Rider, then be sure to listen to the Gunpla cast, because I know that he will be covering that series on there. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've only watched it sparingly, too, and yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a fan. I think we've mentioned it for other illustrated purposes <laughs> more than anything but I've, um, I've only seen bits and pieces of, of the American adaptation Mass Rider and um, it was just when I was getting up to get ready for work and it was on television <laughs> but um, it looked interesting I mean uh, the Kamen Rider has a huge fan base and uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny anybody of, uh, of, of their enjoyment of that show I, 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 if anything I, I, there's an appeal there I feel like I'm at the UN. Yeah, I've, just, I've never been in. I've never watched Tokusaku so so um, all that much. So I couldn't. I'm, I'm the middle of the road. This is a this is a popular franchise that lots of people like. <laughs> so I can see why people would like. Uh, maybe I should just close my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, it, 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 if it well, is, it's okay just to say you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, like, you don't have to get this flowery explanation of. While I haven't seen it, I can understand that there are people in this world who have seen it and who do like it. It, it justify why you haven't seen it. You just <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, damn. Alright, God. Is that it, Chris? Well, that wraps it up. And so, back to you. Alright, well, um, before uh, Chris uh, interrupted me. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, we are uh, going to have an extended segment this episode. And as most of you guys know, per um, a post that Chris put up a couple weeks ago, we had a special guest on this episode, uh, Tim Eldred. Um, a person no well known for his... Um, 
Votomes uh, guidebook and uh, being kind of the Mark Simmons of uh, the Votomes universe. And uh, we talk with him about Votomes and actually go into some of his other projects uh, dealing with StarBrothers.com and some of the stuff that he does to uh, put food on the table. So um, it's a little bit of an extended segment, but it's got a lot of good things in it. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. And if there isn't anything else, we'll be back in a little bit with the segment with Tim. Uh, you're listening to Gundam at NHQ. Don't talk down to me like I'm a kid. I totally dig being on my own. Plus, I can eat all the pizza I want. Didn't I tell you for years to go easy on the pizza? And don't tell me that's all you're eating every day. God, you're pathetic, you know that? Please don't talk to me like you're my mom. You're not the maternal... That's enough. Look, you better explain this. I don't give a damn about your personal life. Start talking. If you're into sports, working out, or just need a new pair of shoes, and you're a proud listener of Gundam at MAHQ, well, we got the thing for you. If you go to Gundam.net, you can click on the Champs banner and receive 10% off a $50 or more purchase by entering the code AFMAHQCH or 15% off of a $75 or more purchase using the code AFGUNDCH. If you're a fan of the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, college sports, or even stuff like Major League Soccer and a lot of your uh, premiership soccer jerseys, definitely go to champsports.com for all those needs and also visit them because they have some great deals on footwear and other products. We, the hosts of Gundam at MHQ, visit champsports.com for all of our footwear and sporting good needs. You should too. Hi, I'm Mitsugi. And I'm Hatake. And we're the hosts of Anime Addicts Anonymous Podcast, AAAPodcast.com. Listen up, anime fans. Do you find yourself spending tons of money on anime DVDs and merchandise? Wishing you drove a Gundam to work instead of your car? Singing J-pop music in the shower? If you do any of these things, you might be an anime addict. At the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, we have one mission, to turn your anime addiction into an obsession. We entertain our listeners with current anime news, celebrity guest hosts, hilarious discussion topics, and fair, unbiased review on current and past anime. Here are a few testimonials. I used to be a total anime noob. Now I know so much about anime that I can say, Spike was caught riding on a Tachkoma eating Pocky wearing a Hidden Leaf Village headband while looking at a foldout of Revy in a Death Note, and know exactly what that means. Now that I listen to the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, I never have to watch a bad anime again. They watch them, so I don't. So visit us at aaapodcast.com and submit anime review requests on our forum and tune in on iTunes so you can always have the latest in news and reviews. So get obsessed with Anime Addicts at the AAA. And remember, we're here for you. Hey man, is that Gundam? Yeah man, well turn it up man! This segment of Gundam at MAHQ 
is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. This is Chris, and for this segment, we're joined by special guest, Votomes and Star Blazers expert Tim Eldred. Say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. All right. <laughs> so if you've, if you've been in the mecha community for um, any number of years, you've probably come across, you know, experts of fandom who are known for their knowledge. If it's Gundam, it's Mark Simmons. If it's Votomes, it's Tim Eldred. If it's people who uh, talk out of their ass, it's me. So there's all sorts of people out there. What are, what are, what are me and Adam, then? Uh, you're just chumps. There you go. You're just, you're just my lack your, uh, your ass is remarkably articulate. <laughs> you're, you're just my lackeys. Or just the minions. Yeah, you're just useless minions. So we, uh, for this segment, we solicited some questions from listeners on Mechatalk. And on Twitter, we'll get to those later on. First, we're going to ask uh, some questions of our own, and I figure the best place to start would be, Tim, uh, maybe you could tell us briefly how it w- how and when you were first exposed to Votomes and Starblazers. All right. Well, Starblazers is an easy one. It came on TV back when there was still regular broadcast TV in 1979. And uh, as soon as I started watching it, it completely changed how I looked at animation and told me exactly what I wanted to do with my life, which was to make animation and comics. And that's what I do now. (laughs) Um, That lasted for uh, about a year before it started to rerun. Um, But I just kept watching the reruns because I loved the show so much. And then gradually I learned there was a lot more of it. And over subsequent years, I became involved in the uh, American arm of the franchise. And now I I am the writer of most of the material at Starblazers.com, which uh, I intend to... Uh, turn into sort of an online museum for that entire Space Battleship Yamato phenomenon, um, which to me seems like pretty much the most important turning point in all of anime history because it took anime from a kid's medium into the multifaceted, multi-armed monster we know today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when ahead. you started watching uh, Yamato, were you aware that it was a Japanese series or did you find that out later on? Yeah, that was in fact the first one that I knew was Japanese from the moment I started watching because I'd read about it in a sci-fi magazine uh, prior to seeing it on TV. Um, I think it was Fantastic Films, which is no longer with us, and it had an article about foreign sci-fi and covered a lot of animation, included a still from uh, Yamato, which really caught my eye. It was just one view of the spaceship, but that's really all you need. It's such an iconic image. It is. Um, and a few months later, I turned on this show called Star Blazers, and lo and behold, it was the same spaceship. And there in the end credits, it said, originally made in Japan. Mm-hmm. So it, they made no, um, no bones about it. There was no subterfuge. There was no editing to cover up the Japanese-ness. Um, it was right there in the credits. And so um, I think it, um, it, it helped me to understand much more about what I was seeing. Um, Speed Racer, of course, was anime, but I didn't realize that until well after the fact. Uh-huh. And, and um, it was kind of gratifying to realize that it had already invaded my mind as a child. <laughs> and uh, in my early teen years, it was there again. And then, of course, Robotech came after that, and 
you know, Akira and everything else. Um, now, Votums came a little bit later. It first went on TV in Japan in 1983, and um, I am positive that I saw it the next year because a friend of mine named Steve Harrison, who I hope is going to listen to this, uh, had some copies of early TV episodes, and he showed them to me, and it was like the next big step, the next big bomb that went off in my head and turned me into an anime fan for life. Um, and so Votums just kept continued to expand and grow in, um, in scope and size and variety over the next few decades. And so now those two things are my number one and number two favorite anime, and I continue to follow everything that goes on with them to this day. Mm-hmm. And with Votomes, when you were watching those early episodes, did you have any knowledge of Japanese language back then, or were you going by just the visuals that you saw? I had very little knowledge at that point. I still have very little knowledge now, but slightly less little, if that makes, uh, if that makes sense. It does. Um, <laughs> what I found was that it was so visual that it was possible to follow the broad strokes of the story without knowing the language. Mm-hmm. And the more I went back to rewatch it, the more that story fit together and made sense and gave me kind of, uh, sort of access to the language, which is kind of a backdoor into a work of fiction, seeing the visuals and then being motivated to figure out what the characters are actually saying. Whereas with American TV or anything in English, sometimes you can turn the picture off and you can still follow it. So what I discovered in studying those episodes over and over and over is that the way the story fit together visually told me what the characters had to be saying. So in other words, I could look at episode 12 and then know what was being set up in episode 11 and then kind of trace that backward almost archaeologically to figure out what was the story. And that in itself was a really interesting exercise. Um, And I was fortunate to be uh, looking at a story by Ryosuke Takahashi, who I consider to be one of the best anime storytellers in the whole industry. He definitely is very visual because I watched the second half of the criminally underappreciated SPT Lazner completely raw. Oh, yeah. And while it certainly helped to watch the first half subbed and having, you know, the basis of what the story's about, the characters, that sort of thing, you know, I was able to follow almost everything in that second half pretty well with very few hiccups. So I don't know if it's just his visual storytelling. Well, it's him and also his directors and the animators working under him. Um, Leisner is absolutely a masterpiece. I love the fact that you can watch that second half and completely know what's going on just because it's so archetypal. So obviously we're all fans of franchises that have been around for years and we've been into them for years. So what for you uh, is the enduring appeal of Votome that you're still a very big fan of it almost 30 years later? (laughs) Um, Well, the thing that drew me to it in the beginning was the design and, um, and the aesthetic of the show, which was very, very basic and very stripped down. Um, it's almost, uh, I, I've said this before, it's not so much designed as it is reduced down to its barest elements. Mm-hmm. And um, in order to do that, you have to dispense with all pretense. And um, what, en- what ends up in the, on the finished page is something that, um, that can't be second-guessed. It just goes straight forward. It knows exactly the direction it's going. And it's up to you to follow it along. Um, and you don't have to dig through a lot of preamble or a lot of nonsense or um, superfluous design for design's sake. Um, everything that's in the show 
has a purpose and a meaning. Um, there's nothing that's filler. There's no throwaway. Um, and so I think that sets it apart from a lot of anime, especially stuff that we see today. Um, I mean, there's good stuff today, but there's also, um, I think, a higher percentage of stuff that's just done for cash-in purposes. Yeah. And um, I think Votums will always be more satisfying in the end, even if it doesn't quite compete visually with modern techniques, um, which is why I'm glad they're still doing some new stuff, because now we can see what, you know, in our mind's eye, what uh, the original show looked like um, when it was cutting edge. Right, and we'll get to those newer production a little bit, but sticking with the 80s for a minute, back in the 80s, you did a... Uh a fan guide to the series and some of the OAVs that were already out at that time. So why don't you tell us briefly how that came about and how much work you put into that, how long it took. Well, in the beginning, it was a direct result of what I just described to you, the whole process of figuring out the story kind of archaeologically. And at the time, there was no uh, prospect of it ever being imported. And there were only so many people I could meet and talk with in person to tell what was going on. You know, we would occasionally go to conventions or hang out with friends and watch episodes and share what we knew about it. But that only reached a few people at a time. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was a fanzine that put all the story information into one place, um, you know, as far as I could figure it out. Um, so I did one for the first 13 episodes, the first arc in, in Udo City. And I shared it with an, uh, an APA that I was a member of at the time and also kept it in mind that I would continue and expand it to cover the entire series and everything else I could figure out um, and eventually sell it as a fanzine. Um, and the advantage I had over any professional publisher was that uh, I didn't have to worry about buying licenses to any of the images. You know, I could grab anything from anywhere. And so... I would pull something out of a Roman album or out of a manga spin-off or out of uh, you know, a, an instruction sheet for a model kit or you know, box art from a toy. Anything that would help tell the story went into the viewer's guide. Um, and I also had the advantage of being in a uh, commercial art firm at the time because that was my career before I went into comics and animation. So I had access to really good photocopy equipment and um, typesetting equipment and everything I needed to do something that looked professional. Mm -hmm. So everything you see in that old viewer's guide is a direct result of all the passion I felt for the show and all the skills that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe that you did a viewer's guide for the CPM remastered box. Is that sort of the spiritual successor to this guide? Yeah, it kind of is. It's called the field guide. Um, they asked me to... Uh, to bid on doing a booklet that would put the information together in a concise form that could be included in, in the um, DVD set. And um, I've got a copy right here. It, it turned out to be a pretty big thing. It's 64 internal pages, which I think is maybe a third of the size of the viewer's guide. Mm -hmm. I forget how many pages was in the viewer's guide, maybe 150, maybe more. Um, but this was all in color, which was a nice little addition. Uh, and we did have to observe some licensing limitations uh so it could not be as um as all-inclusive in terms of pictures uh, but here's an interesting side note to that a long time ago when cpm first got the rights to bring votums over and uh put it out on vhs um they had a copy of my viewer's guide because i sent it to them mm -hmm. and they handed that over to a representative from nippon sunrise and that would have been in the early 90s 
and they went through it and picked out all the images that um, that they said we could use in future, you know, publicity projects. Um, so, in a way, doing the viewer's guide and exposing all those images to the public sort of made them available because they had already been put into circulation in the fanzine. And so that resulted in making the licensing prospect or process a little bit easier for CPM. Mm-hmm. And speaking of licensing, um, based on your contact with them and your work with them back then, did they ever have any intention of licensing the OEV projects that were out at around that time, or uh, was that not available? Oh, they definitely wanted to, and they went after them several times, but they were never available. Sunrise just kept telling them, no, not now, not now, not now. Can't do it now. And eventually it ran out the clock. Um, CPM's license for votums in general expired a few years ago. And, and then they expired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if anybody else has their sights set on bringing it back, but I think they're going to run into some of the same roadblocks if they do. Sunrise just doesn't seem willing to part with this baby. I don't know why. Um, maybe they fear that it'll compete with Gundam in some way, but... I mean, it's it's not Gundam. It's very different. So absolutely, and it's, and it's not like Gundam is a blockbuster here in America, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All I can imagine is that, that Sunrise wanted to focus on that show and and put everything else off to the side, uh, and either just kept telling them no or jacking up the licensing fees to some, you know, impossible amount. Mm-hmm. Which is something that we've heard about a lot with different uh, anime companies that the Japanese licensors make it. Uh, next to impossible by having very high licensing fees or demanding that you take some B or C level show in addition to the show that you want. Yeah. Right. Um, I had a conversation with the head of CPM, John O'Donnell, a while back before the company went under, and um, he said that he constantly ran into that. They had a very unrealistic expectation for how much money they could uh, collect from overseas licensing, Mm -hmm. and um, they would take a series that was completely obscure, like, let's say, Heavy Metal Elgheim, which a lot of people here don't even know about, and price it out the same way as Full Metal Alchemist. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. I love I love Elgheim, but I can recognize that it's a dinosaur era show that is not going to be you know one hundredth as successful as Full Metal Alchemist. But yeah, but as soon as Full Metal Alchemist was a big hit, it set a new standard that everybody thought they could follow. Um, and not knowing very much about how many eyeballs they had here in America, they thought, well, there there are enough people to support Alchemist, so they'll all buy this too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Uh, don't don't they also get back end off of shows that are licensed and produced and um, you know brought to the states and, and and localized and whatnot? You know, when those DVDs sell, they they get royalties from that too. So yeah, they, they it never depends. On, it. I, I imagine it would depend on the contract and yeah. how it's written. So I mean, who knows? But they never go into this as a partnership. You know, it, it, they're we're bringing it, these companies are bringing a licensed anime to the states and having to bring it onto a market that may receive it as a hit or may not receive it at all. And I'd always thought it would be a a joint investment between both parties to do that. But well, Adam, you've been, you've been doing this podcast long enough. How many times have we gone over this issue (laughs) of Japanese companies? They think that the U S market is exactly like their own and that they can just copy and paste what they do there over here and get the same results. But after 20 years, you'd expect change. You know, <laughs> why Why does the U.S. still have an embargo against Cuba for 50 years? You'd expect yeah, yeah. change, right? Yeah, you, you're right. 
So, I don't know what I was thinking. Speaking of uh, CPM, Tim, uh, you did some comics works with them. Uh, you did a Vote Holmes comic, Supreme Survivor, which basically, uh, from having read it, is an expanded version of the Roots of Ambition OAV. And you also did a comic of uh, the infamous MD Geist. So could you tell us a little bit more about both of those projects? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for MD Geist, was it for the first one or for colon, uh, MD Geist 2 colon Death Force? <laughs> that's, that's a good damn favorite. <laughs> I felt some colon death when I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, we have a we have a segment here called Anime Toilet where we talk about the worst of the worst of anime, and our inaugural segment was with uh, both of the Geist OAVs. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Geist is something special. Um, well, as you may recall, uh, that was one of the first OAVs that uh, Central Park Media brought over. And um, I don't know why uh, there was such a love connection for John O'Donnell, but he, he, took that, uh, he took that armor and made it into what they called the corporate spokesmecca. Um, you recall it was part of the company logo, like forever. Yes, it was. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think he did, there was just something about it that appealed to Mr. O'Donnell, and he decided, oh, this is the image for my company. And um, that kind of endeared him, I think, to the director, Koichi Ohata, uh, to the point where they decided they wanted to co-produce the sequel, Death Force. Mm-hmm. De- Colon Death Force. Yeah, yeah. Part of the run-up to that was uh, getting some more publicity going for M.D. Geist, and so uh, he hired my studio and I to put together the first comics. Uh, we did the adaptation of the first OAV, and then we did a prequel. Mm. Um, which I don't know got a lot of circulation. I'm, I'm pretty sure they did a graphic novel version of it. Um, I've, but, I'd never heard of you uh, doing a prequel, so I guess maybe that's a testament to that. Yes, indeed. That's so. Uh, there are now three MD guys stories to go, you know, down the toilet there. Um, but we got to meet and work directly with Koichi Ohata. Um, mm-hmm. He actually drew some splash scenes in the uh, adaptation of the first OIV, um, which I had planned in because I laid out and drew most of the book, but I uh, took the key moments in the story and turned those into double-page spreads that Ohata could draw. So um, when it gets to one of those big pictures, that's his art. Oh, wow. Yep. And then after that, um, we co-plotted out the prequel story with him in one session. Uh, I think it was at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con. must have been late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went off and did uh, three issues uh, in a miniseries, and it was full color, and it was published along with other CPM projects. Um, for me, this was all the stepping stone to get to Votums, because from the very beginning, I, I dearly wanted to draw a Votums comic. And as a result of this, I finally did. Congratulations. Yes. Now, and, that, uh, if I have my MD Geist history correct, uh, I believe that the director's cut of the first OAV was funded by CPM to clean up uh, a lot of animation problems there in the original version. Is that correct? I guess so. I wasn't directly involved in any of that. Um, by the time they were working with you know, the director's cut and, and making the new OAV, I was on to other projects. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, that, now that we've done that to get the bad taste out of our mouths, tell us about the uh, Votomes comic Supreme Survivor. Okay. Um, I, was, um, I was interested in presenting 
a comic version of Roots of Ambition because it is the first story. Even now with all the spin-offs that have happened, it's still the very beginning of the saga. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they kept trying and failing to get the rights to bring over the anime, I thought, well, maybe we can do it as a comic. And um, if we package it just right, it will get around some of the licensing fees. Um, and so that's exactly what we did. We turned it into a three-issue adaptation. And then the fourth issue was episode one of the TV series because the one flows right into the other. Mm-hmm. Um, when the first issue came out, um, we immediately hit a big obstacle, which was a, a distributor buyout in the comics industry. Um, I don't know if you want to go too deeply into that, but in the 90s, there were two major comic book distributors. Um, one is Diamond and one was Capital City. Capital City was bought out by Marvel Comics. Um, so that Marvel could use them as their exclusive distributor, and that cut way down on sales for everybody across the board. And and the timing was just right or just wrong for the first Votum's comic. It came out, and then this buyout happened, and suddenly all the markets were halved. And so we couldn't continue it as a monthly, but um, I was encouraged to continue drawing it so that it could be done as a graphic novel, and then that came out maybe a year later. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, I actually read Supreme Survivor before ever seeing Roots of Ambition itself. And um, like you said, your adaptation went on and included episode one of the TV TV series. So what was the reasoning behind that of uh, extending the story and leading into the TV show? Um, Well, the main reason CPM wanted to do comics at all was to help promote their anime videos. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what I thought this package would accomplish. Um, because it gave you a story that you wouldn't see on videotape, and then it flowed into the first episode of the show, which was available, mm-hmm. and so the whole thing became sort of a prequel package. So sort of a thing of, hey, if you like this comic you're reading, go buy these videotapes. Yeah, yeah, and here's the key to open the door. You know, Here's the gateway drug, our adaptation of episode one. And, of course, I would have loved to continue... Um, I don't think it was ever going to be realistic to, to adapt the entire TV series into comics, but um, you know, I, I gave it my best and thought if it opens the door for more, then I'm ready to do them. Um, but either way, um, I still fulfilled my dream of drawing a, a Bodum's comic, and I'm still very happy with it today. That's a good piece of work. And um, moving on, I wanted to ask you about Shining Heresy, which is a pretty divisive series among fans. A lot of people, either they like it or they hate it. And, um, you know, like with Gunnam, a lot of things, you hear a lot of stuff on the internet of, oh, uh, Tamino said this or Takahashi said that. And I've heard over the years about Shining Heresy that um, it was supposed to be longer than it was and that uh, Takahashi disowned it, et cetera, et cetera. Is there, is there any truth behind any of that or is it just um, internet crap? Oh, I don't know. Um, I've done a lot less research into this than I should have, but um, I did hear at one point that Takahashi wanted it to be longer, um, and for some reason it didn't continue. I mean, there could be any number of reasons for a series to be cut short, as we've learned over the years. Right. Um, I know that he kind of went into it grudgingly because from the moment the Votum's series ended, um, Sunrise wanted him to do a continuation, and he was able to give them a few OAV series, but 
or uh, specials rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he kept wanting to do other things. You know, he he went on to do Panzer World Gallant and SPT Lazner and um, Gasaraki and other things. And he just kept wanting to move forward and do other projects. But they kept um, you know grabbing him by the arm and saying, "No, come back and do Votums. We got to do some more Votums. There's a lot of money here. You know, we can do a lot of merchandising." Like the Godfather, they keep dragging him back in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that maybe he uh, wanted to? avoid falling into the trap that Tamino did with Gundam in the 80s that Sunrise just kept wanting him to do more and more and more? Uh, it's entirely possible. I'm, I'm sure the two are acquainted because their career paths have been so similar and they've worked for a lot of the same people. Right. And um, I could very easily picture him seeing Tamino constantly trying to break out of the Gundam mold and not being allowed to. Um, and so by uh, the mid-90s, um, I could see him uh, kind of giving up and doing Shining Heresy because it obviously didn't have the same uh, measure of uh, detail and care that he put into the original series. Um, but the fact that he had a bigger story in mind spins it in a different direction. He might have been planning to do something a lot bigger than what we saw, and circumstances just prevented it from flowing through. I kind of got the impression it was supposed to be longer because at only five episodes, you know, you've got this story developing of, of the Church of Martial and then Shiriko spends most of the OAV uh, beaten up and recovering and then suddenly goes on the war path for the last two episodes, the end. <laughs> right, right. Well, um, you're probably aware that there already is a sequel to that. that creates of course. To the that was fan- going to be my, my, next, uh, my next question, which is right. that, uh, you know, after Shining Heresy, we had this sort of deep freeze for a good dozen years until Pales and Files showed up, and now we've got Phantom Arc and Alone Again and um, Case Irvine and Finder. So I know you were asked this on other podcasts, but we have to ask it here. Uh, what, what's your theory behind why Sunrise is now so interested in Votums again after a decade or so? Oh, that's the million-dollar question. Um... It could be that, uh, that Takahashi was unable to find anything else to do, or he just finally gave up trying to do other projects, or he just decided he wants to retire and hand things off to a new generation. Um, again, I should, have, I should have spent time researching all these things, but the time just wasn't there. Okay. Uh, That's no problem. We don't research either, so don't worry about it. Uh, we all graduated from the Larry King School of, yeah, exactly. of Journalism. Well, actually, no, only Paul did. Yeah. Well, all so, my research energy these days goes into StarBlazers.com. So um, that's why I, uh, I don't know as much as I would like to about recent developments. So what do you think about uh, these recent projects that have come up, uh, both Pales and Files and um, Phantom Arc? What did you think of those stacked up to the original series and the OAVs from the 80s? I wish they were better. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, I mean, they have their good points, but um, if I were writing it, I would have gone differently, uh, a different direction. Isn't that a lot of stuff, though, now? Yeah. I, I, I seem the same way. I, I sit there sometimes, and I'm like, you know what? This could have been better. And I'm not, believe me, I, I'm, not a, I'm not like you, just, you know, writing or comic books or anything like that. I'm just, you know, just Joe Schmo normal guy when it comes to this. But I, I sit there with a lot of stuff, and I'm just like, you know, if they just would have done this, it would have not have been so horrible. <laughs> well, I don't think I, I any can... of the, the new projects are horrible by any means. They're right. definitely entertaining and watchable, um, but they don't live up to their potential. Yeah, yeah. They're they're they just don't. they're just good, and they should yeah. be great. 
Yeah, because, you know, uh, with Phantom Arc, which was being billed as, you know, the conclusion of the Votom story, the conclusion of Chiriko's story, that's, yeah. that's building up a lot of expectations of a character who, you know, has been around for nearly 30 years. And, you know, it starts off interesting with this sort of, like, nostalgia tour of all these old places like Uodo and, and Umin and Sunsa and seeing all these old characters like Potaria and everyone and Shako. But then it just sort of pretty abruptly comes to this conclusion with Wiseman being magically resurrected, and then the ending is almost a repeat of the TV show. Yeah, yeah. I I kept hoping that um, that they were setting up expectations, which they would then defeat by going in a different direction. Because from the beginning, it was obvious that this was sort of fan service. Um, we'll just take everybody through, as you say, a nostalgia tour of the old sites. And it's a good premise to set up a story, but then you have to take that story somewhere else. You can't just be locked in. Um, but they, they kind of stayed locked in, and there were opportunities to, to take that spin, you know, and go off and, and do something new. And I kept hoping the name Phantom Arc was a signal that that was going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. because the concept of a phantom is it's not what you think it is. Yeah. But it turned out this was exactly what we thought it was. And they definitely play off the nostalgia by uh, both in Pales and Files and in Phantom Arc using uh, some new songs, but also a lot of the background music from the TV show. Uh, right. Phantom Arc, they just used the opening and ending songs from the TV show. Which is fine. I mean, Which those... is fine. It's a nice little, you know, they're, they're good songs and it's a nice little like connection to the past. Because um, one thing that did appeal to me about these new projects is visually, despite the updated animation and, you know, the CG graphics for all of the ATs, it looks pretty much identical to how it used to. They didn't try yeah. to update the character designs, you know, to go for, you know, the, the Bashonen appeal that you see in a lot of shows these days. It's just sort of, you know, we're just doing the exact same thing, but with today's techniques. Sure, sure. Um, and so reusing the music is a good way to help ground it in the past and, and give it the authenticity. But they did something else that I can never forgive them for, and that was throwing out the original sound effects catalog. Oh, yeah. That was almost like changing a voice actor. You can never get over the difference, and you, you miss the old one to the point where it detracts you from the new one. And it doesn't it doesn't make sense with sound effects. If an actor, okay, maybe they died or something like that, and, and you have to kind of accept it, but I'm with you sometimes when it comes to, like, not using these sound effects that you've known for years. It, it is, even if you update them a little bit, that's fine, like, yeah. maybe clearer or something like that, but, you know, especially if they're going to take all the time and care to make everything else appeal to the nostalgia feel right. of the original shows. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and something that, that still really um, uh, shows a really good creative of choice in the original series was let's just say the footstep of the AT. Yeah. You know, that big heavy metal funk when it hits the ground and that that uh, that uh, reverberation that comes out of it. It's very subtle, but it wasn't it was different from all the other anime we were seeing at the time. And it was a signature that that gave the AT its own identity. And when you take that away as they did and replace it with what I consider to be pretty average stock you know, mechanical spins and clicks and whirs, um, you lose that original character. Mm-hmm. And, and that was uh, pretty interesting in the 80s, given that a lot of these Sunrise Mecha shows and even shows that weren't by Sunrise all used the same sort of stock sound effects, but in different ways. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And this went, um, I think, a step further. I don't know if these two things are related, but you'll notice, especially in Palson Files, 
the ATs don't move the way they used to. Now they're jumping and leaping and mm-hmm. almost flying all over the place, you know, like they're like they weigh nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lack of the heavy sound effects and the lack of the heavy movement in the robots removes some authenticity. And I think that's something else that gets in the way of me seeing it as, you know, the thing I want or the thing I remember. Mm-hmm. Do you think that do you think that might be because it is such everything else they did with the nostalgia factor in it if it was one of these situations where you kind of felt that it was going to be something different or maybe a reboot or like a re-envisioning of something you probably would have given that a little bit more um you've been a little bit more you know favorable uh of your thoughts of that or is it just because that nostalgia you know everything else you got this nostalgia feel but then like you said these few little things it's just like doesn't make sense well if you're if you're going to do a sequel then there are certain things you owe to the original. And um, right. perpetuating the creative choices of the original, I think, is is first on the agenda. Yeah. Throwing them out uh, for no good reason, you know, I, I can't think of any good reason to have thrown out those original sound effects, for example, um, I think flies in the face of, of your whole mission, which is to create a sequel and a continuation. Unfortunately, that sort of thing happens uh, with some surprising frequency, you know, as, as is the case with Votom sound effects, um, for example, Saint Seiya, you know, in the sequel OAVs that they produced in the 2000s, and then halfway through, they went and replaced nearly all of the iconic voice actors from the original series. Yeah, and I'm talking people like, you know, Toru Furuya, who played Amuro Rei. I'm talking um, Hirotaka Suzuoki, who played Bright Noah. I mean, these are some of the most well-known anime voice actors. And they were still around doing the first part of that OAV in the 2000s, but then in the mid-2000s, you know, they just completely replaced all of them. They did the same with all the new Fist of the North Star projects. Yeah, that's what I heard, too. Yeah, yeah, the entire voice cast was replaced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know a lot of fans were uh, not happy about a lot of the voice actor replacements in the Zeta Gundam movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was sort of a, a mini brouhaha a few years back. Oh yeah, it was. So um, aside from uh, Alone Again, which is set between Shining Heresy and uh, Phantom Arc, there's really not much more you can do with Chirico's story because it's been covered so thoroughly from the TV show to before and after. So for Votomes, do you foresee it now as continuing sort of a Chirico-less universe in terms of anime productions? Um. Yes, yes. And I think that's the correct way to go at this point. Um, the story is much bigger than one guy, and I think they've done just about as much as they can with that one guy, um, except for the fact that there is a missing year of his life uh, at the end of the TV series. Right. In the last episode, in the last episode Quent blows up, and then the epilogue happens one year later, and mm-hmm. Kiriko is still alive and running around with all his friends. And I've always wanted to see what happened in that year. We only got one story from that entire stretch, and that was an OAV called Big Battle. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, he, I think he backpacked through Europe that year. <laughs> well, that's, that's what Aluga that's what Haptism did. Yeah, he, uh, he, he was like, you know what, en- enough trying to save the world and all this other stuff, seeing my friends die and all the, being used and all this crap. I'm just going to get... Take it easy, backpack through Europe. <laughs> well, I figured even though that's, that's um, a period you could explore, I think Big Battle gave us um, a big enough glimpse into it of, you know, they're on the run, they run into some weirdos, Rochina's still crazy. Right, yeah, exactly. So I've always um, thought that the Votomes universe and its world and its background is very expansive, equally as much so as Gundam's Universal Century or Macross. And it's just 
out there waiting to be exploited. So I really did enjoy uh, the Merrill Link OAV from the 80s, which was not at all about Shiriko. And although I haven't seen them, I am waiting to get my hands on Votrom's Finder and Case Irvine since they similarly don't have him from what I understand. That's right. That's right. Um, in fact, I, uh, I was going to save this until later, but I'll just give it to you now. Sure. Uh, I was lucky enough to see Votrom's Finder in the theater. So what can you tell us uh, about it? Uh, I liked it a lot. It reminded me a lot of Merrill Link, and um, it has some new characters and new takes on the mecha. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in a slightly different environment, but there's enough that it has in common with the original series to still have the authentic feel. Um, and so I hope they can do more with it. I, I didn't get to see Case Irvine. I just missed that by a few days. But um, but uh, Votum's Finder gets a thumbs up. And, and uh, uh, where does that take place in relation to the TV show and all these other projects? Uh, you mean in-universe chronology? Yeah, in-universe, yeah. Uh, it's not specified. It mm-hmm. can take place on any planet in the galaxy. Um, it probably happens in the future because the mecha is... Uh, it seems to be descended from what we see in the original, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine with me. I'm happy to see it uh, continued and, and expanded and evolved into something new. Now, these three newest OAVs, uh, Finder, Irvine, and Alone Again, from what I've seen on the Internet, um, they all seem to run around 50 or so minutes. So are they all just one-shots? At this point, yes. Um, I would assume that anytime you make something like this, which requires a, a lot of um, world building, that it is then a de facto pilot for a future project. But of course, that pilot has to be met with a certain amount of success and approval. Right. Uh, so at this point, it's wide open. None of these have come out on DVD yet. Um, K. Servine will be out in a few days. And then the others will follow um, 30 and 60 days from then. So if they're waiting for DVD sales to um, to tell the tale, then we could probably hear something by mid-year. I don't know. So uh, right now, I think I've pretty much exhausted most of my questions. Did you guys have any other questions before we move on to some other subject areas? About Votomes? Yeah, about Votomes. Uh, the only thing I could say, uh, the only question that I have is, um, you had mentioned before, uh, Tim, that you, you think that one of the big things about Votomes that stands out is the reduction feel, you know, the reduction of the technology of the robots and everything like that. Do you think that is, that's a contributing factor of how popular this thing is? Because if you do think about it, the, the thing I always think about Votomes, it's very much different than anything else that I've really watched in anime. It, it's just, it, and I, I think the way when you, you presented it as reduction, um, you know, just that reduction feel, that's, that's, that's probably the best way of describing it. And it's amazing to me that something like this has lasted so long and had so many um, different incarnations of it. Do you, do you feel that this is, um, you know, a contributing factor of why it's been so popular for so long, uh, especially in Japan and even in the, in the Western world, it seems like it's kind of the same way. Yeah, well, the more stuff you shear away, the more you find that um, that you didn't need it in the first place. Um, you know, we we can probably all tell tales of of stories in anime or in other branches of sci-fi that are just completely pretentious, and you get caught up in so much of the detail that it obscures the story. But if if you get all the detail out of the way and make the story your first priority then everything that follows serves the story. Yeah. And I think um, AT is a perfect example. Kirigo goes through scope dogs like Kleenex. <laughs> uh, well, actually, uh, one of our, of our staff members, he actually took a count of how many 
AT Shiriko uses throughout the TV show and throughout all of the OAVs that you know are blown up on screen. Uh-huh. So I don't remember what the number is exactly. It's part of uh, one of his questions, which we're going to get to later on. But it's it's interesting that that's that stuck out to me because. You know, you had very few shows like that in the 80s. You had, you know, Macross, where the main characters, Hikaru and Roy and Max and all these guys, they weren't flying special prototypes. They were flying the exact same cannon fodder that could blow up the exact same way mm-hmm. as all of the other cannon fodder. Yeah, Kakazaki. Yeah. yeah, and you had Shiriko, you know, going through scope dogs like underwear. Mm-hmm. You know, these things were not special, and they really emphasized what they talked about you know, in the show, like these things are pretty like moving coffins. No, no physical attachment for the uh, mid-season upgrade when it's like, you've been such a great mecha, but, <laughs> but you, you served your purpose. Now I'll get my brand new shiny one next season. Yeah. Cherico <laughs> was like, oh, things out. it's overheating, it, it's blown. It blew up. Move on to the next. Steal yeah. somebody else's. <laughs> Grant the AT. And, uh, and that makes it completely different from all the super robot shows and even Gundam yeah. where the, the robot becomes another character. And there, yeah. are even, there are even cases where the human character speaks to the robot character as an other, you know, yeah. as another entity. Yep. And, and even uh, in uh, Lasner Takahashi series, it feels very, very Gundam-like. And not just because of the, the Lasner resemblance to a Gundam, but the fact that it's this special mecha that everyone is after and, you know, how it has these two AI systems that AG interacts with, and it's sort of like a character of its own. Yeah, exactly. Then that makes it unique and sets it apart from everything else. Um, But um, the scope dog has a whole different mechanism built into it, which is that it's like... um, Oh, what could I... How could I describe this? You, You almost have an iPod that you plug into it. Yeah. Consider it... If it was a stereo system, you could plug your own iPod into it, and then it becomes yours... You pull your iPod out, you stick it in a different stereo, and now that one's yours. And the first one can be disposed of. It's interchangeable. Like it, it sort of is the real idea of military equipment that, you know, it's nothing fancy. It's the literal uh, definition of mass-produced and completely interchangeable, customizable, depending on the mission role, as we see plenty of times, all these different uh, optional weapons components that are added to it. It sort of is the the real idea of the real robot from the early 80s and, and built upon from uh from Dugram which kind of did have those but even then the Dugram was still you know special invincible robot except for when the plot required so <laughs> and and you were really an ace because of your skills not because you had the most powerful suit or weapon at the time and um you know that's that's what you saw there especially with you know votomes so mm-hmm. well, Adam any uh votome questions from you well, it, it's a general question about Votums. Um, ba- basically, um, Votums to me seems like a product of its time, and I think it was a rare time in uh, in, in the early '80s where they were still had the avenue of uh, presenting a story, you know, that was you know very character driven, and the mechs were almost took a, a second, you know, uh, they, they took a supporting role position in the series. Um, lately, we've seen an emphasis on in mecha shows where, and, and this is no, this is nothing new. But in mecha shows, they they want to sell models and toy kits and and all that stuff in order to 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 merchandise the show. Um, you ever think we'll see a, another era where uh, we'll get a, a show as original as Votoms, where the characters take uh, or the characters come front and center, and and the mecha are kind of the accoutrement of the series? Because um, it still makes Votoms stand out to this day. 
and uh, just like um, Paul said, it, it is a, it is an anime unlike any other anime I've ever seen. Well, you have to remember though that it was marketed as a vehicle for toy and model sales, just like everything else. Right on. Um, the difference was the approach of the mech design, which was to make the the robot in the show as close as it possibly could be to the toy that was sold. Yeah. Um, the designer was Kunio Okawara, who we all know is the um, the god of of eighties mecha. Mm-hmm. And um, after his experiences on Gundam and Dugram and others, he he really wanted to approach Votum's law almost like a toy maker, where he could create a robot that could then be translated into 3D with as few modifications as possible to actually make it move. Wow. Um, now, if you go back and look at the original Mobile Suit Gundam, um, the first wave of model kits did the same thing, but as soon as that was rendered in 3D, you realized how limited that design actually was mm-hmm. and, and how severely it had to be cheated to make it work in animation. Um, so Votoms was a direct result of that. Um, of, I assume that um, Okawara had this body of knowledge where he, I can, you know, I can envision him drawing something and then a few months later being disappointed to find out it doesn't really work in the real world. And wanting to address that in Votums, which he did perfectly well, um, and as a result, that uh, that design is immortal. Um, yeah. I think it's as interesting now as it was in the beginning. Absolutely, it's, it's a very icon. The the Scope Dog and then all the other ATC he designed for the show are very iconic, and and um, you can you can tell them almost by silhouette. So it's <laughs> it's uh, it it's definitely a testament to what he provided, and it is ironic to me that. Uh, that was um, one of the in, uh, intentions that uh, Okawara had was to make it so that the toys were fully realized as as what has been shown on screen in the show, and 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 yet again, um, the characters are so lively in this show, and and it doesn't it doesn't seem that obvious when you watch the show that this has merchandise tied in and 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 all that. You're watching a gritty war story, and uh, it, it, the, are you the saying f- this? Votems has soul. Yeah. It's not just a vehicle. No, it has heart, it has heart and soul in it, according to the writer's soul. Bible. <laughs> you know, I don't know how true this is, but I'd read that um, Okawara makes um, papercraft models of his designs as he's working on them to see how well the parts work and move in 3D. Wow. I don't so, know if you need to use paper anymore, but... He, well, he, you know, uh, back in the day, maybe, and, you know, he's an old-school guy, so maybe he, he still does, since he still draws things the exact same way that he did 30 years ago, but that's, yeah. that's another story. Well, um, Adam's original question was about the story mm-hmm. um, and um, the fact that it was story-driven and, and can we ever expect to see something like that again. Mm-hmm. Um, this, too, is something that makes it kind of unique in that um, I think the writing crew decided that the uh, toys and the merchandising would take care of themselves with the right design work, and so they proceeded to write something that would that that would have a narrower focus than most other anime um and they were direct beneficiaries of this long evolution that started with space battleship yamato um back in the 60s and 70s almost all the anime was created for kids and when yamato came along uh, it was a story meant for older children and preteens but it was held back by its merchandising, which was all aimed at little kids. And so there was a profound disconnect between the marketing and the show itself. Um, and as a result, 
in its early year, in its first broadcast, um, it didn't do well at all in the ratings. But then the audience caught up to it. And so by the time they did the Yamato movie in 77, um, the adult audience that it was made for was ready to see it. And the merchandising immediately adjusted to match that, um, which was really incredible when you think about it, because an entire industry saw one project that was phenomenally successful at the, the movie theaters and changed their entire way of thinking uh, in the support merchandising. And that continued uh, to evolve and sped up from 1977 to 1983 to the point where then they could do the merchandising for uh, a wider audience and they could write a story for a more mature audience. And uh, I think Votums represents the culmination of that almost 10-year span of evolution in the marketplace. Um, so what they then did was wrote a story specifically for an older audience and didn't worry about the kids catching up because the kids would catch up if they felt like it. Um, and the audience was big enough at that point that they didn't have to worry about marketing to the kids anymore. Um, so that was the state of the, the union in 1983, but now it's, you know, 2011, and uh, we see that audience narrowing again, but it's going to teenagers, and uh, I don't think many adults are interested anymore. And so we're seeing more stories that are built to appeal to teenagers. And as a result, there are fewer for those of us who aren't teenagers anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think there needs to be another sea change like the one Yamato created where something happens to enlarge the audience again and then the, um, the medium will catch up with that. But even uh, with franchises like Votoms and Gundam, there is, I think, still a, a niche that's uh, made for those people who have gotten older over time. You know, with Gundam, you have stuff like the Igloo OAVs and their connected um, UC Hardgraph model lines of very real military vehicles. You know, with Votoms, you've got you know these these projects like Pales and Files you know, that are designed to appeal to, you know, those people who were teenagers maybe back when these shows aired, and now, you know, they're middle-aged adults, but may still have some connection to that franchise of their childhood. Yeah, but I don't think there are enough of them to... No, not enough. You know, they're, 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 they die off either of age or of lack of interest. Yeah, exactly. So, um, um, yeah, the, you mentioned the, um, the new Gundam projects. They, they seem to me more and more narrowly focused from year to year. Um, the UC Hardgraph model kits are a good example. Um, I think there are, you know, the people that those appeal to are a percentage of a percentage of a percentage. <laughs> yeah. And that, that group is not big enough to create a new anime for. Um, no. Although, I don't know, maybe they keep trying. Um, they, you know, they just can't seem to let go of the one-year war. More no, more. They, well, you know, that's the fans as much to blame for that as Sunrise, so... But um, moving on from Mecha temporarily, I'm assuming that the Tim Eldred listed on IMDb is you? I'm not aware of any other Tim Eldred in showbiz. Okay, so I see um, on the list here that you worked on the, um, the so-called MTV Spider-Man. What can you tell us about your work on that project? Oh, yeah. I was a director on that. Um, my main gig is to do animation storyboards, and occasionally I get hired to join a staff as a director. Um, and that was one such case. I did a lot of work for Sony Animation uh, mm -hmm. in the late 90s and early 00s, and um, Spider-Man was one of those projects. Uh, it's the MTV Spider-Man series. There were 13 episodes, and it was all done in CG. Mm -hmm. And I directed, I think, four of them, three or four. 
<laughs> the best of the 13, right? <laughs> oh, of course. This is a bit more in keeping with the theme of your show. Prior to that, I was a director on Heavy Gear. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. Was, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, you were, were you involved with the uh, the role-playing game as well? Because I know the Heavy Gear role-playing game was based uh, heavily on, a, <laughs> no pun intended, but heavily on uh, Votomes. So, um, well, here's one of my favorite stories because mm-hmm. it, it completely unpredictable the way it happened, but in the end, it seems like destiny. When I did the uh, Votum's viewers guide, I sent it around to a lot of different people. Right. Uh, Central Park Media was one. Um, they saw this huge book that somebody did and thought, "Oh, let's go after the series. It's pretty cool." And they got it. And another copy went to a company called Ionis Publications, um, located in Canada at the time, and this would have been mid '80s. And they were publishing a magazine called Protoculture Addicts, which you've probably heard of. Oh, yeah. Yep. And they were interested in expanding what they were doing, and uh, they got a copy of the viewer's guide and thought, you know, a Votum's game would be awesome. Let's go after the rights to do a Votum's game. And so they started developing one, and then they showed it to uh, Sunrise, and Sunrise said no. Oh, jeez. And I bet it was the same element of Sunrise that kept turning down CPM's requests for the OAVs. But uh, ENS Publications had done a lot of work on this, and they thought, you know, this system we developed works pretty well, and we've, we've done, you know, a lot of hard work to get it where it is. Let's just change it into something else, give it new names, and uh, adjust some details so it can be our own original thing, and they called it Heavy Gear. Awesome. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and um, it's, it's all because of the... Uh, the decision I made long, long before to do the Votum's Viewer's Guide and, and start expanding uh, the awareness of the show. And it came back to reward me handsomely because I was in exactly the right place at the right time to work on the Heavy Gear TV series. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> this is the seeds you planted. <laughs> I guess it's a good example of unintended consequences. Yeah, and uh, I, I worked on it for several months and just pretended it was a Votum's show and, and had a great time. <laughs> Going back uh, just one step, uh, can you tell us what, what ended up happening with the, the MTV Spider-Man that it only ran for one season? Because um, you know I, I didn't see it when it first aired, but uh, I thought it was a good, solid show and um, you know, a good entry into the, the animated Spider-Man canon. Well, as you recall, there was that big movie that came out in, uh, I guess it was 2002, and it was a huge hit and had a gigantic opening weekend. So the lawsuits started flying. Um, and one of the biggest ones, I think, was between Sony and Stan Lee. Oh. And this cast a big umbrella over the whole franchise for a good year or so after we worked on the show. And so we kept waiting for that to get out of the way in order for us to get a renewal and do a second season. And I think it took so long to resolve that all the momentum just went out of it. So they decided not to continue. Oh, <laughs> Which now really Spider-Man. Sucks Yeah, the last episode, he is a cliffhanger. He decides yeah. to give up and not be Spider-Man anymore. Exactly. <laughs> so that Spider-Man cartoon uh, was supposed to be set in the same universe as um, the original Sony movies, right? Essentially, yeah. Uh, you, there were some differences in the uh, character design and the editorial approach, but the two were basically connected. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd also heard, and maybe you could shed some light on this, that there were uh, villain restrictions on who you could use because of the big ones being reserved for live-action movies. Was that, uh, was that a situation? Was that something that actually happened? Um, 
Well, not really, because we did get to use the Kingpin, mm-hmm. and that was at the point where Daredevil was being made, and Kingpin was the major villain there. So we just had to uh, make the Kingpin black to match the black Kingpin from that movie. Mm-hmm. We weren't able to include any other heroes, because they were all tied up in different agreements and with different companies. But we could still mention them. Um, I do remember there was an episode where he mentioned the X-Men in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only other ruling that we had on the use of villains was that if we were to pull one out of Spider-Man's history, uh, we had to make him look exactly the way he did in the comics. We couldn't modify him in any way. Oh, that would have been tough with some of those 60s and 70s uh, villains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were pretty weird. Ooh. So um, Colorful. Yeah, they. I think there was a little bit of compromise just because of the process of turning 2D into CG. Um, but their basic commandment was, if you use somebody from the Marvel Universe, he has to look exactly the way he does in the comics. And if you're going to change him, then just make up an original character instead. Mm -hmm. Was the reasoning behind that so that it would visually differentiate them from live-action movie redesigned versions that could be used Uh, in the future? It could have been, um, because anytime you redesign a character, then you're you're adding another layer to the uh, copyright history of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it was probably more an attempt to exert uh, control over the uh, intellectual property. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sort I of a shame then. So, sorry, go ahead. I can't blame them for that. I would do the same thing. Right. Sort of a shame then that uh, that show ended up being a consequence of Fortress out of its control, just like happened a few years ago with Spectacular Spider-Man, which um, was also a great Spider-Man show. But and one I other question. Oh, you did? Yeah. I wasn't a director on that one, but I did storyboard several episodes. Get out of town, man. How, how, uh, just an off question. I, I, I take it you, um, you, you worked with Greg Wiseman then? Uh, not directly. I wasn't on staff for that show. I was a freelancer. Oh. Um, but I do know Greg. Um, he, uh, he's a friend of the family. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, my wife worked with him on Gargoyles when he was the uh, showrunner on that show. Oh, my God. Now you, you would definitely speak in my wait, language. Wait, wait, wait. Now we got to wait. Now I'm, I'm probably... <laughs> Number one Gargoyles fan on this podcast, so now we, we have oh, to. Uh, we you have better to stand de- down. Get the derail this for a minute. What, did, what was uh, your wife's role on that show? Uh, she was the assistant to uh, Greg Wiseman, I believe. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That, that show has a special place in my heart, man. It really does. Oh. It, 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 that was an era in animation that um, you know all sorts of great shows were coming out, and for that to come out of Disney's doors, there's, a, there's always some era with you. Yeah, well, there is. Oh, I mean, I, I could probably just, just like the early '80s was a great time for anime. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, that was an era of Disney animation that was unlike all any other. I, I'm old. What can Man. I say? No, you just <laughs> you discuss everything as superlatives. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, one question that. Um, I wanted to uh, wrap this part up with uh, what's it like going from being a fan of these franchises like Votum and Star Blazers to then being on the other side of the table and working in animation as a director, as a storyboard artist, all of these different roles? Well, the best part of it is you know exactly where your roots are. And um, what I enjoyed the most about that transition was watching anime go from something that the bosses were scared of to something they openly embrace as a a reference point. Um, I first got into animation in 86, and at that point, anime was just starting to expand, and the imports were flying fast and furious, and and, um, most people my age or younger were grabbing onto it with both hands, but those who were over us as our employers 
felt threatened by it. They didn't quite know what it was or what it represented, and it was new and different, and uh, embracing it meant changing everything that they had learned in, the, in their own industry over previous years. Um, but uh, most of them have either faded away or come around to uh, join the party, and now the people running the animation industry are themselves anime fans. And it's really great to uh, to see that evolution. Um, now it's reached the point where it's actually a little scary because they know exactly what they're talking about when they reference certain shows. Um, and uh, it's up to us now as artists and creators to step up to that level of quality. Um, no, phone, no more phoning it in, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually have to be on the cutting edge ourselves. Um, I can't tell you how many times a day I hear Fooly Cooly talked about as the uh, as the standard to meet. Wow, still, huh? Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was well, the that, paradigm. <laughs> that that was a landmark show because oh, if it you, is a landmark. If show. you look at it, if you look at it, at least uh, even just limited to Gainax, almost every single thing they've done since then has been heavily influenced by that show. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I think it was another one of those that hit at the right point where there were was a receptive audience here. Yeah. And um, a lot of them happened to be in p- creative positions where they could immediately take what they were inspired by and apply it to what they were working on. Um, the creators of Invader Zim were huge Fooly Cooly fans, and some of them went on to do uh, Avatar. Oh, oh and, man. Yep. I wouldn't know. I've never <laughs> seen it. No, no, Ortiz means Avatar The Last I, Airbender. I, Avatar, oh, that not, one. Not, not uh, see? Dances with Space Wolves. Yeah, see? I, a couple of years ago, I would have been like, oh, just out. Oh, that, I would have known what it was, but damn you, James Cameron. Oh. <laughs> so, um,. Moving yeah, on to the last the Nickelodeon animated series. Yes. Moving on to the last part of our segment, uh, we have some listener questions from. Actually, actually I can, I, talk. can I can I ask one before uh, you go to that, Chris? Sure, go ahead. Hey, um, Tim, I'm a huge fan of anything uh, Mazimoto too, and I'm like you. I, I saw Star Blazers as a kid, and I love the Captain Harlock, Galaxy Railways, all that stuff. And by, by Mazimoto, I assume you mean Leiji Matsumoto. Leiji uh, Matsumoto, yeah. Manga great and animation creator. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm French, not directly there, so it must be kind of the correlation because I know everybody in in France goes crazy for that guy. But <laughs> I, I've always loved it just because of the whole kind of um, you know the, the the look, you know the the look of the the characters, um, you know the the uniforms, everything like that. And I know that there was a, you know, a motto uh, movie that was done last year um, in Japan. And I've been just kind of reading some things online. It looks like that that whole type of show, and, and like you said, it is a very landmark uh, show uh, for its time, and you know, and and for the actual anime industry as it is, because it did set a, a new standard for things. Um, do you see that there is a renewed interest of um, this happening? And is this one of these, as you said, and as we notice, a lot of things are starting to get adapted. Is this something that maybe in your circles that you uh you know you you deal with that could possibly be done as um maybe an american production or something like that i'm not, I'm not a huge anime adaptation person but i think something like that would be really kind of cool um to do uh well it has to be done really carefully yeah uh, exactly. space battleship yamato is as big in japan as star trek is here yeah so doing eventually doing a live action version of that was a no-brainer 
Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a question of if, it was a question of when. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad it finally happened, and I, I love the movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, I still have to check it out myself, but I, I was really looking forward it to it. Is, but um, it'll probably be on DVD by mid-year, so I highly recommend it. How, how's the Steven Tyler song? Uh, it's great. Is it really? Okay, no just... about him. Yeah. No. It's uh, emotionally, it's a perfect fit. I'll just oh, say, really? yeah, because you hear it at the very end of the movie, and it's right after this amazing emotional climax, and it's it's a perfect bed to lie back into after that experience. Oh, that's awesome. And you heard it here, folks. You can you can read all about the movie at StarBlazers.com. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out. But in terms of other anime adaptations, there are a few happening in Japan now. Um, but they're all driven by very unique circumstances. One mm-hmm. of them, I believe, is Guy King. And yes. the only reason that's happening, the only reason they picked out Guy King was they had clear ownership of it. Right. Um, there was no you know, committee built into you know, several layers that all then have to be appeased and, and uh, all have to agree on exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, there was any number of better-known super robots that could have been made into a live-action film. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the CG Captain Harlock. Yeah. Which is, you know, owned free and clear by Leiji Matsumoto, so that's that's gonna easy be awesome. To with. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, he's also trying to get a live action Galaxy Express put together. I don't know if he'll actually, but he he wants to um, because that's about to hit a big anniversary. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. It's what thirty. It's gonna be thirty years old, isn't it? The- yeah, it is now. It is now. Um, this is the year, the thirtieth anniversary of uh, Adu Galaxy Express. Okay. Um. Let's see, we've had other recent ones. There was um, one of those Time Bokan series just got made into a live-action film. Yeah, I know it's Yataman. Yataman, Yataman just got yeah, made, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know any of the circumstances behind that, but you know, it's only one of several Time Bokan series, and maybe not even the best known. So, again, you would have to look at the specific genealogy of that film to know how and why it got made. Um, but that's all in Japan. Transplanting everything over here is a whole different animal because, yeah. you know, movie companies are not exactly innovators. They will yeah. not, uh, if they have an option of creating something original or grabbing a license everyone knows about, you know which way they're going to go. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so then the question becomes, do enough people know about License X to make it worth dumping all the money into it mm-hmm. for a feature film? The latest one we heard about was Robotech. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> which is on again, off again. And uh, hopefully that's completely off again. <laughs> we also occasionally hear about James Cameron wanting to do Battle Angel Alita, but yeah. now now that he's decided to um, inflict two more Avatar movies on us, yeah. oh. probably won't get around to that. Yeah, Battle Angel much. Alita is is the uh, Duke Nukem Forever of movies now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It just like just like Spider Man was in the '90s when um, James Cameron was going to do that. Yeah. Um, knowing from his track record, this is never going to be made, which is sad because when he first announced it, I was all excited. I was reading the mangas at the time, and I think it would be what, what he had planned to to do with that series. Um, it would have turned out phenomenal but uh he now, now, now he's just going to be content torturing yep. poor uh george lucas by u- making more movies with that camera <laughs> <laughs> now wouldn't you love to see him move on to alita right after avatar with I, I, all his uh technical expertise yeah yeah exactly yeah. and give us something um something that most people had never has never seen before i, I with all with, with what i saw in avatar i saw that as a demo for what uh alita could have looked like and 
and now we'll never get Gunham. Ma- uh, ma- makes you makes you kind of realize maybe he doesn't really have as much there as he as he says he does. Yeah, it, that could you be know. the case. But it's James Cameron, man. He he has the the highest grossing movie of all time. I, mean, I know, I'm but sure if you don't parties would have been. I know, but if you do don't have something. a story down, yeah, you know that that's what I meant by that comment. True. So um, the um, other live action name we hear thrown around occasionally is Akira. Yeah. And they're still talking about that. I'm mixed about uh, that. That was just in the news a few days ago. Wasn't there a recent announcement about somebody being considered for the lead role? I, yeah, there was. I, I think uh, Brad who. Pitt was offered the Brad Pitt? Yep. Shia LaBeouf. Wow. I know this much. I know That's that, Tetsuo. Uh, I know one of the, I think Albert Hughes is the director. The Hughes brothers are working on it. And um, I love their movie, Book of Eli. I, I, I'm still up in the air on how the... Um, how this movie will turn out if it does come out, but um, I, I've got a little faith in them. I, I hope they can adapt the story pretty well, and hopefully it turns out. I don't know. I, I have my Blu-ray of Akira, and that's all I need. Well, there you <laughs> go. It's, it's not like it's it, it, it's not like it's never been done before. So <laughs> what was I thinking? This is I don't know. So well, we have uh, we have those three examples: Robotech, Akira, and Alita, and each of them has very unique individual circumstances in their genealogy. So I, I think we haven't yet reached a point where there is a model to follow for a live-action anime adaptation, especially in America. Yeah. Dude, you forgot Cowboy Bebop with Keanu Reeves, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't Whoa. forget it. I refuse to acknowledge it. Hey, Smart Jet, this, this beef and noodles doesn't have any beef in it, man. <laughs> So we've got some listener questions here, uh, mainly related to Rotoms and Star Blazers. Uh, the first comes from the Goose. His first question was about MD Guy, since we covered that already. We'll skip to the next, which is, what are some of Tim's favorite anime and manga outside of the mecha genre? Outside of mecha? Well, um, my top fives are all mecha, except for Yamato. Uh, I don't really consider that a mecha show. Um, but uh, right after that, there's Votums, Gundam, Vifam, and Leisner. That that rounds out the top five. Yeah. Really, uh, Vifam? Vifam is great. I love it. It is a good show. I've I've only seen about a quarter of it, but uh, enjoyable and certainly not one to pull the punches of. We'll kill almost every single character that you think is going to be a long-lasting character. Wow. <laughs> oh man. Um, and then after that. Uh, Going into the rest of my top ten, the Mecha fall off quite a bit because up next would be Fist of the North Star. And then uh, everything from the Matsumoto universe, which I consider to be interconnected even though some of it isn't. Right. Um, And then there's um, Planetus. Yes, I own that show. Outstanding program. I love it. Um, I'm I'm a sucker for anything that involves real space and, you know, the transition from Earth to the solar system. Mm -hmm. So that story is right up my street. Um, and then uh, the remaining two would be Giant Gorg and Panzer World Galleon. Hmm. All right. Nice uh, next, we have a couple of questions from our own reviewer, Peter, a.k.a. Destiny Gundam. His first question was about the field guide, so we'll move on. Uh, second question was about Revival of Votom, so we already covered that. He also asked, why was only one episode of the TV series dubbed? Um, typically, the way they would approach that is um, just uh, come up with enough money to do a single half hour as a sample, almost yeah. like a pilot. 
Um, and then you would market that to different TV networks or take it to a trade show and um, show it to people and see if you could drum up enough interest to uh, get some syndicators to sign on. And then you would have the money to do the rest of the series. And um, Votums was just one example of this. They've done many, many other anime shows that way. I believe there is uh, an episode one of uh, Dunbine that was done a long time ago. Um, I've seen an English dubbed episode of Dr. Slump. Um, and there are probably others that we've never seen. Yeah. I wonder how that uh, that dub compares to the horrible one that ADV did for the series. No, That's a bad dub. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he also says, uh, overall, what's your favorite installment in the franchise, i.e. an ARC or an OAV? In, uh, in Votums? In Votums, yes. Uh, I think the part of the story I like the most is Sansa. The third arc in the TV series. Wow. I mean, they're, they're all great, but Sansa just has... It's a reduction of a reduction of a reduction. I yeah. mean, that's the point where the characters hit their lowest nadir in terms of surviving, where it's down to, you know, Kiriko dragging Fiona across the desert, and every step could be their last. And seeing them fall to that level, just from space down to the planet and then climb their way back up again, I think is the most enga- emotionally engaging arc in the whole saga. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good arc. Personally, I think I'd rate uh, Kuman as one of my favorites because it's that's got the whole too. robots in the jungle aspect done way better than Gundam AthMS Team did. And oh, yeah. given the, the time frame of when the show aired, it definitely has a Vietnam feel to it yeah. with just the way everything is designed and the way the story flows. Yeah, and there's another reason I think that it's that the human arc is so successful from a creative standpoint, and that is the scale of the robots is not so huge that they loom over the forest and can't get any cover. Um, the way that um, they did the 8th MS team, I think, is a good story, but, you know, those robots are the size of office buildings, and there's very few places you can go in a jungle where you're going to be hidden. And plus, uh, oh, 8th MS team had uh, Guineas. So uh, that, that's another that's that knocks it down another peg. Ouch. Yeah, uh, but Bring but I think out. that uh, that says something else about how Votums is so different. Um, because the robots are scaled closer to human size, they can interact with human vehicles, and it's much easier to look at a scene uh, and tell how big the robots are. Whereas with Gundam, a lot of times that scale gets blown um, because you can't really put a human next to a Gundam and have them be visible in one frame. You know, if you point your camera at a person, the Gundam has to be close to them, and so you're only seeing part of it, and you kind of lose the sense of mass and scale. Yeah. So the last uh, comment here from Peter says, I went through the TV series and counted all the ATs Chirico went through and came up with 23, each mecha lasting an average of 1.8 episodes. His longest-serving AT was his third marshy dog, which lasted from episodes 18 to 27. Because of that, I'm extremely fond of the marshy dog. What's your favorite AT and why? Um, I'd go with a strike dog. Maybe a Radley dog, but a Strike Dog, I think, is is fast and quick and mean-looking and unbeatable. Strike Dog was uh, Ypsilon's mecha, right? Yeah, and uh, in fact, I think that was the one that wrecked the Marshy Dog. I think so, too. Yes, it yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
it's, it's appropriate. Uh, our next questions come from Taka Takunuva, who says, Whoa, you guys need to stop reading my mind. Just earlier today, I'd been thinking how awesome it would be if Tim Elder was on your show since he's been a guest on other podcasts in the past. He says, well, first off, all that. He says, first off, Tim, I've read that in your 2010 Yama tour, you got to meet and interview anime legend Leiji Matsumoto. How was it like meeting him? Um, it was a very interesting series of events. Um, anybody who wants to read the whole thing can go to starblazers.com and read it now. Um, but it was uh, several months in the making. I've got a friend in Japan who was acquainted with him and set up the interview. And um, there were some hoops we had to jump through, but by the time we got to his house, it was, it was almost sublime. We had um, six of us there, uh, including Matsumoto himself. Actually, no, I'm wrong. There were six of us and Matsumoto. So, oh man, uh, the fact that he was able to hold his own against you know six rabid fans, I think, was <laughs> a, a testament to his professionalism. Um, but we also scored a personal invitation to his house, so we got to actually walk inside his home. Does, the does, he, ha- does he have uh, Does he have Harlock's chair anywhere? <laughs> we didn't see his studio. He's got a receiving room where he takes interviews. Oh, really? We, we sat there. Um, it was really packed on one side with boxes and packages that had been probably sitting there for years unopened. And uh, there was another corner that was full of model kits and figures. And um, he had at least two different game systems attached to his TV. Uh, but we didn't get to see his studio, which I kind of regret. That would have been awesome. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Um, I've seen photos of it, and you can barely move in it because there's so much stuff piled up everywhere. He's an old guy, so he's probably just... You know, he's getting to that point where he's got so much crap he doesn't have to do with it anymore. Yeah, could be. So this isn't one of his questions, but uh, I'll just throw in similarly. Have you, uh, in your work, ever met uh, Ryosuke Takahashi? No, I haven't. Um, and I don't know that I need to, but it would be uh, an, an awesome thing if it could come together. Hmm. We'll see. Uh, next the thing question. is, I'm, as I said before, I'm, I'm so... Um, I'm, I put so much time and energy into Yamato and Star Blazers projects. I've got almost none to spend on Bodum's. Um, but if that were reversed, I, I would have definitely wanted to seek out him and, and interview him by now. Mm-hmm. Our next question from Taka is, do you think it's likely that Yamato Rebirth will be licensed and released officially outside of Japan? Oh, God, I hope so. Yeah, same here. It really needs to happen. Um, at this point, I don't know who's talking to who, but uh, there are American companies negotiating to get the live-action film, and the ownership chain is exactly the same for Yamato Resurrection. So if one happens, the other could follow. We'll see. Uh, he also asked about the live-action movie, if it was worth it, but we kind of already covered that, so he has seen some Votom's questions here. He says, at the end of Roots of Ambition, Palesen is shocked to see Chirigo still alive, at which point Chirigo says something to him which the audience can't hear. Has it ever been revealed what exactly Chirigo said? Rosebud. <laughs> uh, the answer is yes. It was revealed in the novelization, and um, I had access to some translations so I included it in the graphic novel. And the line is, no one controls me, not even God. That's, wow. that's, that's Jericho. <laughs> that sums him up perfectly. <laughs> 
Uh, his last question is, in the prologue to Last Red Shoulder, we see Chirico and his Red Shoulder buddies being given new transfer orders. However, this is set a few months after he already left the Red Shoulder Battalion as per Roots of Ambition and Pales and Files. Maybe you know the answer to this consistency. As a final note, just wanted to say that I have a huge appreciation for the work you've done, especially with your StarBlazers.com site, so keep it up, man. All right. Well, um... It's really interesting because I've thought about this a lot um, and even addressed it in the graphic novel version. Um, before Paleson Files came out, I didn't assume that there was any need to, to expand that part of Kiriko's story because we had The Roots of Ambition, which flowed very nicely into The Last Red Shoulder prologue, as he observes. Um, and when I did the, uh, the graphic novel, I followed that ad- adaptation chronologically. I put that prologue in there and then um, added some extra details around it that I just came up with on my own to help build the bridge and, and solidify it. Um, and then Paleson Files came out and blew all that out of the water. I have no idea what they were thinking when they inserted all that stuff. But um, I have come to look at Paleson Files as an alternate timeline because there's just so much in it that flies in the face of what we know. Uh, it, it almost seems to demand to be considered as, you know, Kiriko in Dimension X. <laughs> well, the, these sorts of continuity errors, they, they come up when you have especially a story like this that's been told with more sequels across several decades and pretty tightly so, so you have limited room to weave through and throw something in. So I just well, want to take it, it as a given that these details don't match up. Well, it goes beyond that, though. Um, Takahashi wrote it, so I have to blame him for all the mistakes. And the, <laughs> the biggest one, the biggest one, is that by the end of Paleson Files, it is known across the entire Astragius galaxy that Kiriko is a superhero. Oh, wow. It's he and uh, the other guys who are sent into the giant uh, Ballarant facility, you know, the big space station, yeah. are proven to be supreme survivors. Hmm. And they are promoted as such to the entire military. These are the guys that we're going to send in because they are superhuman. And uh, there is no continuity between that and the TV series. Yeah, that does kind of bust things up. And also the fact of like how much, and even Roots of Ambition did this a little bit of like how much he already knows about himself and why people are after him before the TV show. Yeah, yeah. If it's all told to him, if he knows exactly who he is and what he can do by the end of Paleson Files, then there's no reason for him to go through the whole arc of the TV series and find out the same thing. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I that I wanted to bring about Paleson Files, uh, since it kind of clearly lays it out, but it also doesn't make much sense, um, this um, this lackey of, of Walcombs, Ruske, did he uh, change his identity to become Rochina? You have to assume so. Is the same voice actor. Same voice actor, yeah. And he talks about casting aside his name and all right. that stuff. But that, to me, was also another continuity buster because, you know, number one, him and Chirico met. So then why wouldn't Chirico recognize him later on in episode one when Rochina is investigating him? Right. And, and, so. Yeah. And also, uh, you get the impression from the start of Votomes that... Roshina's whole obsession with Chirico arises from wanting to know more about him. But then right. if he was Ruske, he already knows all about him. So why is he so single-mindedly obsessed with finding out things he already knows? Alternate universe. <laughs> I guess. 
Hey, that's I, uh, that's the answer to everything. <laughs> I guess so. Um, next, we have some questions from Mulaflaga. His first was a favorite or sent out episode from Votomes, but since you already mentioned Sansa, I guess it would be in there. And he also asks, do you think Votomes is the best depiction of real robot, or do you think it could push the envelope further? Um, that's a good question. Um, I guess the you know going on what we've talked about before you'd have to find something that's further reduced from votums. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you reduce it down to into something even more basic than a scope dog? Um, you could consider powered armor, you know, like in Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. But it seems like just about everything else requires a magical element to make it work. And there are the other Takahashi shows, like Gasaraki and Flag, that have machinery that's... Um, that's so lacking in personality, you have to refer to it as a vehicle <laughs> because it's, it's stopped looking humanoid. It doesn't seem to have robot features to it anymore. Um, it's, so that is a form of reduction when it goes from a humanoid walking machine to a, a tool that isn't even recognizable as humanoid anymore. Um, so I guess that's the answer to the question. All right. Uh, next, we have a question from Snoops619. Uh, he says, what is your favorite mecha of all time ever, and what is your anime guilty pleasure show you're not proud of loving to watch, but you do anyway? Huh. Well, I would have liked to have that one in advance. I'm going to have to think carefully. Um, <laughs> it's just really hard to beat a scope dog for mecha, um, for all the reasons that I've been explaining. Um, I'm looking around my office here and seeing one, two, three... Four different scope dog models or toys, um, and then just a few other ATs, and one Lasner, and one Vifom. So I guess that tells you which is my favorite, because it's the one I have more of in my, in, you know, at arm's reach here. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have to say there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Yamados. <laughs> well, that's definitely your favorite ship. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's definitely okay. one of a kind. <laughs> All right, next. All right. Oh, oh and second anime. part, uh, guilty pleasure. Oh man, um, I could go really obscure and say it's uh, this weird Tatsunoko series from the early '80s called Stars Ends, but then I'd have to explain what it is. Um, I, I really like Doctor Slump. It's just wacky. Yeah, it is. Um, maybe one will occur to me a little later, but I'll, I'll stick with those two for now. All right. Our next questions come from Kuraudo, who I will go out on a loom, go out on a limb, and assume he's a Votomes fan because his avatar is uh, an AT pilot. Okay. So he says, um, he's asking about Votomes Finder. He says it seems like it's a pretty different take on Votomes IP in order to rope in new fans. Indeed, if that is the case, does he think it's a good move? If bad, what are his fears for the direction of the franchise? Mm. Well, um, it's definitely a different kind of robot. Um, it wouldn't take a whole lot to disconnect it from Votums entirely, except that it, it does preserve a lot of the, um, the aesthetic in terms of how the people use the robots, what they do with them, um, the kind of world that they live in. Um, that, to me, seems authentic enough. I, did, I haven't seen Case Irvine, so I can't comment on that yet. Um, but as I said before, I'd be quite happy if they took Votum's Finder and, and moved it on and into something bigger. Um, I would hope that if they choose to link it directly to stuff we already know, that that stuff would be treated with um, the reverence and respect that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
All right. He also asked a question about your thoughts on the recent productions, but we already covered that. So our last question comes from Swordbits, who says, I was wondering if you could maybe enlighten us about two of the Votom's side stories, Blue Knight Berserka and Equal Genesis. Sorry if I'm butchering the title here. I've been able to get a tiny bit of info over the years about Berserka, but the latter is all but a mystery to me. All I know is that it ran in new type during the 90s, and that's about it, so it'd be great to get some more info from an expert. Thanks in advance. Okay. Well, I'll go you one better. There are actually three stories that fall into this category that started as um, side stories, and um, they, they were all generated in text form first, and then expanded into other things. Um, the first was Blue Knight, which some know as Blue Knight Berserga. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a creation of Takara, which is the main sponsor of Votums. They had a magazine back in the mid-'80s called Dual Magazine, and anybody who remembers it, knows exactly what I'm talking about because it still has has been unequaled. Um, It was a Takara magazine specifically meant to promote um, Takara anime projects. So they covered um, Crusher Joe and Votums and Galliant Mm -hmm. and Giant Gorg um, and and a few other things. Lots of really interesting projects come out of that magazine. It only lasted 11, no, 13 issues. But um, for a mecha head, it's, it's the top. It's still the top. Um, Blue Knight started as a novella in Dual Magazine. And it was being published, I think, right after the TV series. And it was the first one to, I think, go in the right direction, which was to expand the universe and give us other characters. So the main character of that is another AT pilot. His AT is a Bersuga, which is one that we see in the show. But this is just another model of that. Um, and it starts out in the uh, the battling scenario where everybody's a pro wrestler, and then um, it goes into the sequence of events after the TV series when a new war gets going, and they all get caught up in this war. Um, and this was popular enough to expand beyond Duel Magazine into um, Hobby Japan. Hobby Japan did a whole bunch of articles on the model or on the, the robots because you know with with all the Takara model kits for scope dogs and everything else you could easily modify them into the Blue Knight ATs mm-hmm. uh, or scratch build them and that was as big in Votum's terms as um, Gundam mobile suit variation was to right. the Gundam heads um, and it was it to me it looked like exactly the way the franchise should go um, but it never quite went beyond that it stayed in print and merchandising, but it never went to anime, which is a real shame because even today I think that would be the shot in the arm that Votums needs to uh, to recapture its greatness. Um, and eventually it did go to video games. There was a uh, PlayStation game for Blue Knight that used all those robots and all those characters in really cool ways. Um, so that was spinoff number one. Spinoff number two was Equal Ganeshis. Um You could read it as Genesis, but the, the Katakana pretty clearly reads... Ganeshis, which um, I think is just a modification of Ganesha, you know, the Indian elephant god. Mm-hmm. Um, that started in New Type magazine in 1993, and this was a far future Votum story. Um, 300 years in the future, 
And unfortunately, it was one of those that was too big of a jump because you really can't identify it as Votums at that point. Everything in it was designed very differently. Um, it showed 300 years of evolution in which the perfect soldiers and the armored troopers kind of merged into a single creature or single character. And so you had these um, exotic like cyborgs. Kind of like the, the next sense then? Oh, even beyond that. I mean, it was you, you could have a cyborg body that you could literally plug anything into. So you could arm yourself with treads or with cannon arms or whatever. Oh, wow. That is that is pretty out there. Yeah. yeah. If you imagined Armored Core as people putting on all those robot parts, or, you know, perfect soldiers putting on all those armored parts, then that's kind of what it was. Um, it never made it any farther than New Type magazine. I didn't see any modeling because there were no robots. Um, there was no line of vehicles or mecha that you could uh, immediately exploit for toy purposes. So it stayed as a, a novella in New Type magazine. And then story number three is more recent. It was called Commando Vort, spelled V-O-R-C-T. Mm-hmm. And this came out of Hobby Japan. Um, it was actually a joint production between Hobby Japan and a sister magazine called Novel Japan, made by the same publisher. Started in 2006. Novel Japan did it as a novella, which was then collected into a couple of paperbacks which with illustrations. Hobby Japan did sort of a running action storyline where they would take um, these ATs that were custom designed for the story, build models of them, and then photograph them as if you were taking a snapshot from a film. Um, and they had original characters. It was a whole, you know, it followed the Blue Knight model, which was um, set during the time frame of the TV series, but you're just focusing on different characters in the military who go through their own thing. Um, and that led to a line of toys. Um, but that's where it stands at the moment. So the three are Blue Knight, Equal Ganeshis, and Commando Vort. And if I could speak Japanese, I could tell you a lot more about each one. <laughs> I was always interested in Commando Vort and finding out more about it because all I knew about it was putting together the line art for the MHQ section, but it always struck me as kind of um, having neat designs of these scope dogs that are all painted in sort of like um, Titans, dark blue colors, and with some special customized equipment. But And I saw, you know, these month after month in Hobby Japan, these um, sort of little like photo dioramas that you described where they yeah. take uh, the models and photograph them and they were really neat looking. Yeah, yeah. Again, um, where's the anime? Come on, guys. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I'd love to see something like that added in an anime. You know, some of these side stories of like what other grunts were doing during the the Hundred Years War, because there's so many stories that you could tell out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, if yeah. if Bandai if Bandai wants can't let go of of the One Year War and wants to cram in as many side stories as they can, well, why don't you jump into the Hundred Years War? Yeah, definitely. There's so Even much more, more that you can do. And I think what what everybody discovered over time is that there's a limit to to how much Gundam you can cram into, you know, a seven-year history. Yep. And even if you go all the way to Shaw's counterattack, mm-hmm. um, you're still stuck in the solar system. There's just not much you can do without wrecking other things that you've done. And so if you keep cramming stories into that stretch, um, you're going to hit a limit, and it's going to collapse under its own weight. But, you know, Votum is the size of Star Wars. It's a whole galaxy, and yeah. you can go anywhere. Well, don't tell Sunrise that. To them, there's always <laughs> enough accidental TH pilots out there for the one-year war. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Alternate universe! Exactly. <laughs> so, Tim, to, to wrap things up, overall, are there any 
animation projects you're working on right now that you can tell us about or any other projects like comics that you can mention? Well, I'm now on my third Spider-Man TV show. Oh, you're working on Ultimate? Yeah. Outstanding, man. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with Bendis and Paul Dini? Uh, they are involved in it. Um, but again, this is a case where I'm a freelancer, so I don't have a lot of interaction with the staff. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's a great show, and I'm very happy to be attached. Well, let's hope this one doesn't have a, a similar fate befalling that, that befell the other two Spider-Man show. I don't think so. Um, things are a lot less fragmented than they used to be, and, and Marvel seems to have its act together in a way that they never have before. Um, yeah, it's called, it's called Disney. <laughs> well, actually, well, Disney, certainly... is, Disney is late to the game on this one. Um, this show was in development before the big Disney buyout was final. Oh, really? Um, and... Uh, they were uh, they were rolling forward with all the plans um, in advance of, of Disney's involvement. So hmm. um, I think Disney just gives them a bigger play bo- uh, a bigger sandbox to play in. Yeah, b- bigger bank account to deal with too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but prior to this, I did a lot of storyboarding for the uh, the Avengers TV series. Oh, the one that's on um, XD. The, XD, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's I, I kind of like that one. I, I don't see it enough, but. Um, I like. I'm, I'm a big fan of the adventures and stuff. So, yeah. The only strike it has against it is it's not well placed on TV. It's in yeah. time, and there's no real programming block that that is set up to support it yet. Um, but yeah, it's, well, there, there's a whole bunch of prepubescent kids that need to become stars soon. So, uh, oh, yeah. You know, Disney's churning that out. <laughs> Boo. We worked on two seasons of the Avengers. Season one is running now, and. Uh, Two, I assume, will follow, um, which makes a total of uh, 52 shows, mm-hmm. and uh, they get better and better. Yeah. Uh, there's some awesome stuff coming up in season two. For Spider-Man, can you tell us, is it slated for its first season to be 13 or 26 episodes? Has that been determined yet? Um, right now, I believe it's at 26. Okay. And um, they can expand it after they get some shows on and get some ratings in. Um, but everything that they're doing from this point on is interconnected. So one thing will support another in a very smart way. Um, and uh, I'm glad to be involved. So it's going to be sort of like the animated version of what they're doing now with the live-action expansive universe? Uh, it looks to be that way, yes. I can imagine that's easier to do than, uh, than what you're doing in live-action with multiple movies and multiple actors. Yeah, I'm still amazed that they were able to pull that off. Um, but uh, we're seeing now that the actors are now in the uh, in the, the seat of control. I just read yesterday that Iron Man three is going to have a different director on it because that's what the star wants. Yeah, uh, Shane Black. So you're yep. saying Robert Downey Jr. and uh, and John Favreau. John Favreau had a falling out. Oh, I don't know any of the details. I just know that um, Solbro speculation. That well. I haven't heard anything about them having yeah, a falling out, out, but John Favreau has made it clear in interviews that he's got other projects that he wants to do, and it sounds like um, he wasn't so hot on, on some of Marvel's interference um, that was well-known before Part 2 and during Part 2. I mean, at, least hey, with, at least he's working with a director he's worked with before, Shane Black, because exactly. he worked with them on um, Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang. But um, no, yeah, I, I, yeah, the stars seem to do have quite a bit of control as of recently. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to bring up um, from your rap sheet on IMDb is that you worked on Batman the Brave and the Bold. Yes, indeed. Wow, that was, man. Uh, that was a two- or three-year project. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was involved as a freelancer, but I storyboarded a, a lot of 
key episodes of that series, and it was uh, it was a great show. I loved it, including Emperor Joker, which is one of my favorite stories from the comics. Uh, yes, ab- absolutely. Thank you for working on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. Um, when you join a, a TV animation production, you're usually, if you're a freelancer like I am, you're usually attached to a single director. Yeah. And he's one of two or three directors, and so they're all in a rotation. And when the scripts are done, they hand them out uh, in in that rotation. So director one will get script number one, and then four, and then seven. Director two will get two, and then five, and then eight, and, you know, it goes like that. And somehow I just magically ended up in the in the, the best rotation, in my <laughs> opinion, because I got to do a team-up episode with Superman, yep. Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. and Space Ghost. Space Ghost? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. See, I'm just starting to get into the show now, but I, I, I was originally reluctant because, um, you know, it was it was the 60s Batman, and I didn't think it could possibly be good. And then, you know, other my friends were telling me it's it's actually better than what you would what you would think it would be. So I, I've started to check out an episode here or there, and um, man, you've given me more um more insight on on checking that show out. And 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 if anything, I'll look for the episodes you worked on as I go through the series. Well, it was a ton of fun to work on because every show, of course, had a different team up. Mm-hmm. And so you got to draw all these wacky characters from the deep recesses of the DC universe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got to draw Commandy. Oh, man. Yeah. Dude, and then these bizarre villains, like there was one called the Ten-Eyed Man. <laughs> with eyeballs in his fingertips. Really? And it, by the end of it, they were deep, reaching as deep as they could just for the sake of getting uh, uh, these oddball characters into yeah. a show. Um, there's one that, uh, th- that I will never, ever forget where uh, Batman, I don't know if it's even aired yet, so I, I probably shouldn't say too much about it, but um, it's a substitute Batman episode. The real, the, the real Batman is unable to fulfill his duties, so others step in. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, there's a, a scene with, I think, about 57 Batman in it. Wow. Oh, jeez. And I got to draw that. That was incredible. That is off the chain. <laughs> well, I'm about to uh, close this up, unless you gentlemen have any final questions for Tim. No, oh, n- n- I'm I'm out. But um, Tim, thank. Uh, if anything, uh, thank you for answering all our questions, man. I that, that this has been. I I I can't thank you for enough for being here on the show with us, and 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 just this whole experience has been mind blowing. Thank you. You're welcome. There is one more thing that I'd like to throw in, and that is uh, a, a complete list of everything you need to watch in order if you're going to absorb Armored Trooper Votums. Oh, wow. And we've, we've talked about the story details already for several of them, so I'm just going to give you the rundown. And um, you can save this for future reference if you, uh, if you decide to dive in. Sure. Uh, the first thing you should watch is the OAV called Roots of Ambition, made in 1988. Number two, The Paleson Files. Made in 2007. There are uh, 12 episodes of that. And as we discussed, you can consider that an alternate universe if you want to. The next thing that comes up is Armor Hunter Merrill Link. And that's a little surprising, but it takes place during the first part of the Votums TV series. Um, and it, uh, it, it sort of happens at the... It begins at the same time as episode one and goes into its own uh, continuity. That was made in 1988, and there are 12 episodes OAVs. Then comes the first arc of the TV series, Udo City. After that, you jump over to the OAV called The Last Rich Older, 1985. Back into the TV series all the way to the end. After that comes The Big Battle, which is an OAV in 1986. It happens during the last episode of the show. Then there is the jump 
30 years or something like that into the future with Shining Heresy, made in 1994, five episodes. After that comes the newest installment, which is Alone Again, made in 2011. It'll be on DVD in April. And then there's the Phantom Arc, six episodes, made in 2010. Um, and then there are the two new spin-off stories, K. Servine, Votum's Finder, both going to be released very soon. Um, the only thing that's been officially imported is the TV series, and of course it's out of print. So if you find it, you're probably not going to find it again. Definitely grab it. Um, everything else you're going to have to seek out using your own resources, but just about all of it has been fan-subbed and uh, is available in English in one form or another. And of and course I that's the chronological order, and uh, if you want to be properly spoiled along the same point that Chirico is, you might want to give production order a try as well. <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to watch the, the show evolve aesthetically, then production order is the way to do it. But if you want to see the story the way it was meant to be told, you know, in the grand picture, the list I've just given you is your guide. Wow. I've actually been waiting for a long time to do uh, a chronological rewatch. So once Alone Again is, is finally out, I'll have all the missing pieces in place to just sit down and watch a lot of AT smashing. <laughs> That'll be so, a month of your life you'll never get back. <laughs> hey, I, I went through uh, all of Legend of the Galactic Heroes in about a little over a month, so I can, I can do it. That's, that's not a problem. Um, and now, aside you, from... Were you Star able to Legends, walk out in the sunlight after that? Yes, I was. <laughs> I was, and and Paul did a similar thing at a slightly slower pace. So. I, wa- I I watched it on um watched on a portable DVD player at the beach. So. Awesome. There you go. With a with a blanket over your head, right? Because that stupid sun. Actually, no. I, I have no problem with the sun. <laughs> <laughs> it's this this damn glare of the sunlight's getting in the way of my DVD player. Yeah, exactly. I saw so, a photo on somebody's blog uh, a few weeks ago of some kids in Japan on the beach completely covered up in blankets so they could read their cell phones. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's the youth future animators of tomorrow today. Yeah, there's our future right there. Those guys are going to be making uh, your Votum stories in 20 years. No! Alternate universe! There you go. So, aside from StarLadies.com, are there any other websites where people can uh, find your work or your writing of interest? Yep, there's, uh, there's another one called GreaseMonkeyBook.com, and that's where you'll find my original graphic novel. It's a sci-fi comedy called Grease Monkey. The first book has been published in paper, but the second book is available entirely online. Right on. Cool. All right. And on behalf of um, you know, my co-hosts as well as our listeners on MechaTalk, uh, thank you very much for agreeing to be on our show. It's definitely a pleasure talking to... Um, to you about all of these different series and uh, we always enjoy nerding out about Votomes here because it's a uh, very special show to us on this podcast and for me personally having covered it for so long on MAHQ. Alright, well I guess I'll put all my clothes back on now. <laughs> <laughs> well that wraps up this segment so you've been listening to Gundam at MAHQ. We'll be right back. <laughs> Don't hit me for trying to shoot you. Frankly, Scarlet, I didn't give a gun damn. This episode of Gundam is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Right now they're offering special discounts to our listeners. Just simply go to GoDaddy.com 
and use the code GUN8 for 10% off any order not already discounted. GUN9 for $5 off purchases that are $30 or more on any items not already discounted. Dot com domain names are as low as $749 if you use the code GUN10. And last but not least, code 20H1 for 20% off hosting plans. For more information, you can go to gundam.net and click on the GoDaddy link in the Sponsors and Special Offers section. Don't wait too long. The domain name you've always wanted might be claimed by someone else before you know it. Register with GoDaddy.com today. Whatever you do, don't let the reactor temp get too... You mean like this? We are so screwed. With our luck, I'm really not surprised we're stuck defending the entire city again. Quit being such a whiny bitch, Asuma! We're 900 Artesia. Your call is very important to us, so... Amuro, how did you get this number? He also didn't use protection when we were riding, and then he just pulled out without letting me finish. Then he threw some money at me and drove away, and then he... What? Maybe it's something psychological, you know? I'm sure a lot of guys cry for their mommy once in a while. Don't touch me! Put on your line. Pants Asuma, we're gonna go frame God. Yar, the old girl be as tight as her captain. You know, I'm beginning to not care anymore. Remember that thing that keeps us in the air and not on the ground? You mean the drive system? Yeah, it escaped into the mountains. God damn it! I hope it finds a good home. Watch Gadget Ren Studios Mobile Suit Gundam Abridged now with 33% more awkward. Check it out at www.youtube.com slash Studios. Damn! Good kick, Lee. It was an accident. That's okay. We'll just say you tried to catch a cab. Welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. In this episode, episode 72, we actually had an extended segment with Tim Eldred. He is the uh, man that was uh, responsible for uh, helping to bring Votoms to the United States and bringing it to our, uh, our otaku consciousness here. And talking to him was an absolute pleasure. I wanted to also remind everybody to make sure to check out StarBlazers.com, which is a website he runs based on um, uh, Sp- Space Battleship Yamato and um and all pretty much that universe and also check out his original work at www.greasemonkeybook.com anything you guys have left to add well uh finally the rock has come back to raw the rock yeah he has he's back back. as people were here at the beginning of this episode and and, uh (laughs) it actually made me rethink about getting wrestlemania i haven't thought about wanting to buy wrestlemania in a long time but now it's like but it's the rock it's either get that or try to fight for a table at hooters and uh also, 10 years ago this week, uh, America lost one of its greatest mustaches, Ooh. and uh, Dale Earnhardt was killed, oh. and that's when racing went from a bunch of guys just trying to put each other in the wall to a bunch of pretty boys. I know I'm a fan of Formula One, but they're all European, so they have an excuse. They can all be pretty boys, and uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see somebody just get the crap kicked out of them. We, we, we had some hope with Tony Stewart, but he's been, uh, he's been pulled back a little bit. That Burger King money's got gotten to him. Yeah, it sure did. So, got to that waistline. That's it in, in terms of anime, whatever. But, um, Chris, anything before we go? No. Right. Well, um, as usual, always check out these websites: mahq.net, of course, the Mecha and Anime Headquarters, Gundam.net for um, episode info, liner notes, and links to our social networking sites. Um, you can find us on iTunes, and of course, um, reach us by email by sending us messages to. Gundam, M-A-H-Q, at gmail.com. 
And um, also, uh, recently I was on um, a podcast. I, I helped a guest uh, host it. Really? Sober yeah. on a podcast. Oh, yeah, no exactly. doubt. <laughs> I was invited to be on. I thought they smelled Capcom bad. Capcom Forever. On... Yeah, Capcom Forever. Exactly. At, at this point, do you have podcast VD from being on so many podcasts? You, no protection. Did you no get your? Protection. Did you get your? Did you get your card now? Your podcasting card. Hey man, this has been stamped and and, and punched get your, many uh, times. Get your free health benefits now. Jesus, been on enough podcasts. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been on somebody's podcast, to be honest. But um, I was I, I was um I I've only been on those. one. What's that? I've only been on one. Oh, Dolo's. I think, I think that's about to change. And I think I think Dolo. I must have probably dipped his rating so much he's never asked me again. So no, you were also on uh, Anime Addicts Anonymous. Oh yeah, come on now. I probably <laughs> killed theirs too. Well, um, if anything, um, I was invited. Well, they on. haven't had they haven't had me on. So what does that say? Exactly. <laughs> I think that's about to change as well. But uh, I was I was invited to be on. I thought they smelled. Way bad to build suspense, soul, bro. Apparently, we knew all these things that we're completely in the dark about about <laughs> ourselves. Hey, hey, you, hey, you you know which podcasts we're going to be on and we don't. Hey, that's yeah. what. I, I, I'm the ma- I am the uh, the criminal mastermind. He, he's, as, as, he, as our special reveal. He can't keep a secret either. He's, he's one of those guys. that's like, I got you a gift, and it's like it it's electronic and it plays things, but you'll like it. No, but you have to wait a week. Thanks. Well, as as I've been trying to say, I've been I was um, on I thought they smelled bad on the outside podcast, and that is hosted by our friend and and fellow uh, our, our fellow podcaster uh, the foul sorceress Scott, and also on that episode was our favorite defender of destiny Jabman zero two five. Not the fa- not our favorite, the only defender of <laughs> destiny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was there too. It was the three of us, and we uh, discussed the current trends in anime that we love and despise. And if you want to check that episode out, head on over to sbopodcast.blogspot.com. You can also find them on Twitter at sbopodcast, and they're also on iTunes. Make sure to check them out and, and tell them how much you enjoyed the show. And um, if there's nothing else, I will go ahead and um, break, take us home, and we'll see you again on Gundam at MAHQ. Talk to you later. Information on the guys and gals in blue, 65 active officers that make up the NYPD marching band. Led by Lieutenant Tony Giorgio, these musical cops have rehearsed on their own time during weekends and after their shifts for this performance of Space Battleship Yamamoto. Entering now is the New York Police Department's mounted unit. We salute horse and rider for patrolling our streets and deterring crime with their stately presence. Gundam at MHQ is a Shinjuku station in the MHQ production. Hi and welcome to the program. I'm Leonard Malton. We're talking Oscars tonight. My guest is the undisputed former heavyweight champion of the world, a man you've also seen in movies like Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, more recently The Hangover, Mr. Mike Tyson. Welcome, Mike. Nice to have you here. Let's start with best pictures. A lot of choices this year. We got Inception. We got Toy Story 3. Well, I think Avatar should definitely win win best picture. And and Holly Berry definitely should win best actress. She was beautiful. Her performance was just stupefying, you know? Uh, It's only one problem. Avatar didn't come out this year. And Halle Berry isn't in it. 
No, no, you're mistaken. Avatar did come out, and Holly Berry was, and it was 3D, and she had all that blue colored shit on, but it was her, because I met her before in person, okay? Trust me, believe me on that, all right? Don't question it. Okay, okay. Uh, let's try another film then. Uh, the Social Network. Did you like The Social Network? Listen, I, I'm really not on Friendsters or anything like that, but after watching that particular movie, I decided to sign up kind of tricky with me on these <laughs> internet, all these little tricky secret buttons, you know. You think you'd be my friendster? Sure. I'll hold you to that. All right. There's one independent film in the lineup for Best Picture this year. It's called Winter's Bone. It's this little film, independent. So, no, nah, just forget that. I don't know anything you're talking about. One nominee you should know something about is The Fighter. I saw it, yeah. Mark Wahlberg spent a lot of time training, getting ready, trying to be a convincing fighter on screen. You think he could pass muster in real life in the ring? Is he going to be um, Marky Mark by himself, or he's going to have the Funky Bunch with him? No, just Marky Mark. I don't think he got it in, and the Funky Bunch was carrying him all along. You know, you have the heavy set black woman stream at the top of her lungs, and then you got the other guys doing the hammer, vanilla ice stands. There's a possibility he might have got obliviated without the Funky Bunch.